five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! Here we go. The recording has started. All right, let me take a swig. Tits and clits, everybody. And I can say that because this is a Wasp episode, so we're going to get a little dirty on this one. It's the day before Christmas Eve, and I'm getting drunk with my friend Edwin Castracci. And Edwin, why don't you introduce our two friends that are joining us, getting drunk with us and talking some Wasp today. Well, I will, but wait a minute. Uh, is it me, or do you hear something? I, I, I hear, hear something s- in the distance. It I sounds like something. David Lee Roth. What is that? What's up, guys? How you doing? Yeah. From Wild Ride. Here he is, Wild Ride bassist Mick Watkins, otherwise known as Dick Watkins, ready to party with Eric Jordan, RMCP, and Eddie Canastrasi. Hey, man. Cheers. So what are you you drinking tonight, Mick? Oh, well, I've got a full-on bar in front of me, dudes. Uh, Oh, damn. I got wasted. I'm getting wasted. I don't know about that yet. We will see. But I got a couple cans of Coors Light. Okay, I got a bottle of Jägermeister. Whoa! Got another oh. bottle of Old Smoky Gatlinburg Tennessee peanut butter whiskey, and Woo. I've got a bottle of the wretched, disgusting Kentucky Tavern. Kentucky God Street. damn! Don't bond Scott on us tonight, Jesus! <laughs> this might hey. be the last time you hear Mick Watkins. So I hope not. And don't light a match know. near your breath. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> don't drink the peanut butter shit after the Jäger. Do right, it before. So, oh. Do okay, it before. before the Jaeger. All right, before so what should, I, what should I start off with first? Actually, I would start with the peanut butter. With the peanut remember, butter? Beer before liquor, never been sicker. Yeah, but this, right. I, I'm feeling like uh, I'm just going to go with the uh, – uh, this is like improvisation, but I'd say peanut butter. Okay. Ye- Jaeger. The, the, what was the last thing you said? Kentucky Tavern. It's Kentucky, Kentucky Tavern, and then, and then Jaeger again. And then, and then, oh, and, and then the the Coors Lights, and then the emergency room. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> okay, right. I'm gonna have to write this down. Yeah, it has to be in that order. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. All right, I'm trying my best. All right, so we'll see how it goes. If, if you just please don't die until the episode is over. Goddamn. Right, right, right. We're like, <laughs> see you later, guys. <laughs> It's, uh, that's why he goes to the emergency room. They, you know, right. pump, they'll pump they, his stomach. Yeah, right. right and then, and that, and then the Jaeger again. Ooh, I'm alive! <laughs> Give me a shot. Well, yeah, you're gonna be hungover <laughs> as fuck, so you're gonna need some Jaeger to like kind of take the edge off. Takes right, the edge right, off. Right. And it's, I think I got tequila over there on the shelf. I might have to throw ooh. that in the mix as well. Oh, oh shit! Okay, do that between. <laughs> The Jagger and the Kentucky shit. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And it is shit too. I'm gonna Yeah, that helps it. That helps <laughs> it is Kentucky shit. Like you pay like twelve dollars for a fifth. Oh, oh I, I wish I was drinking there right now. Is your oh. is your bar wood paneled? Uh no it's not, man, unfortunately. Oh, no, uh, no. That's my, my next erection just went away. I know mine did too, dude. Full on <laughs> shrinkage. Sucked straight into my ball bag, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute. Someone else has strolled into oh. Mick's bar. Who is this? Who is this lad? gentleman? <laughs> hello, wait. hello, hello. <laughs> oh. Oh, we should probably uh, introduce him. This is a guy that everyone knows in the RMCP army, although they've never heard his voice. This is a this is a premiere. This is like an MTV exclusive back in the day when you saw the little MTV thing on the bottom. This is the the premiere of Jimmy James Swartz. Woo! Woo! All right. I'm thinking of drink for Jimmy. Jimmy James, the one and only. Everyone knows Jimmy James Swartz. Did I say your name right, or is it Swartz? Swartz. Swartz. Yeah. Swartz. All right. It's German, but not too German. Okay, so it's more like German it. than Jewish. Okay, Swartz. Yeah. Got it. It sounds like a hybrid between Jewish and German. My God. Swartz. Yeah. Swartz. Swartz. I'm going to start. Just, I'm just going to call you Swartz. I'm just gonna, could I call you Jimmy James? Is that, I like Jimmy James. I think that's a cool name. You Makes you know, it sound like an outlaw. Makes that's got a good like outlaw a, ring to it. Yeah, yeah double yeah. J. You sound like a moonshiner. Jimmy double James. J. Jimmy James. James. I'll take yeah. that. Or you play a banjo in a bluegrass band, like something like that, you know. You know, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to that. So yeah. So all right. so, so how's it all, how's it going, uh, Jimmy James? It's great. I'm I really uh, I, honestly I'm 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 very appreciative of, of getting the chance to uh, to hang out with you guys and, and talk some music and um, I was telling Eric, you know, you probably couldn't have picked a more boring person to do this, but I'm willing to uh, to kind of put myself in the line of fire, especially for uh, my opinion given of the given uh, album we're gonna we're gonna talk about tonight. Well, interesting. Well, you know, it's good. I think you'll be a nice contrast to you, me, uh, Eric, and Mick. And uh, not not to say you're boring. I don't know if I agree with that assessment, Jimmy James. But let's just say you could be like the straight guy. Yeah. While we get really dumb and drunk, you know, you, you, it's, it's your <laughs> job. Like you're, you're the designated driver, Jimmy. Yeah, you're our D. Right. You're our JJ and our DD. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> There's going to be a certain point where Edwin's going to. I'm just saying, and I'm I'm already talking about myself in the third person but there's going to be a point where edwin's gonna be really drunk and and say things about this album he's gonna regret in the morning (laughs) (laughs) and and you like it yeah yeah exactly it's your job to say hey no don't you're cut off (laughs) (laughs) no more uh but uh so that's your job but anyway so how's the weather with all you guys right now there's a blizzard going on Right now, apparently, it's like the storm of the generation. They don't call it century anymore because they realize they can't, they can't say that every couple of years. People are kind of catching on to the bullshit. So now they, they, they're they saying, uh, storm of the generation? Because that's what, like 12 to 15 years? Like, maybe? Yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> funny we have one of those years. every year. Yeah, it seems like it's just really cold from what I'm hearing from people. That's yeah. the main thing. It was overhyped, definitely, <laughs> the amount of snow we were getting, but it, it's cold as shit. I don't like. I don't want to go outside. It's fucking cold. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, my house is fucking cold as shit right now. It's freezing. Uh, Turn on your think, fucking heat. Oh, it's on, dude, and it's still cold. It's still cold. I think last night we got lots of rain, and that froze and turned into ice on the roads. And then I believe we got four to five inches. Wow. Well, you got more than that's us. my thing. Here you got more than four to five inches, Mick Watkins, from what I've Well, you, dude, it's a little cold. It's a little cold. <laughs> Were you able to measure the amount of inches of snow you got using your dick? <laughs> yeah, I was, man. Yeah, yeah. 
just stick it out there like, all right, we got uh, three inches. It's working on four. You're right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so um, Mick, obviously, yeah. you have done a video recently, and of course, who hasn't watched Mick Watkins' Radical Rockin'? Uh, I always forget. I mean, there's so record many fucking reviews. record. It's the record I always forget. <laughs> radical rockin' record reviews. Yeah, that's kind of a tongue twister. Yeah, it's a it radical rockin' record reviews. And plus, you there know, you they're not always records. A lot of times they're CDs. Well, you so. know, records, CDs, they're all kind I, of the oh, same, same shit. Thing. You uh, know, it's all about physical media. You know. Yeah. So, so you recently talked about this band because you went to this show, the Armored Saint and Wasp show. And both you and Eric had both went to the show, not the same show. They were in different states, different parts of the country. If you can imagine that, you know, we're bringing the people together from all over this fucking place. But anyway, so why don't you and Eric just, you know, chat a bit about this fucking show that you went to that me and Jimmy James didn't. And me and Jimmy James are just going to, like, hang back and, like, think about other stuff while you guys are talking. <laughs> go ahead. Do it. Talk. Yeah, go ahead, Mick. Oh, all right, all right. Well, I seen Wasp and um, Armored Saint last month, November twenty third, twenty twenty two, at the Ryman Theater in Nashville, Tennessee. Grand Old okay. Opry, Grand Old Opry, dude. And this is the first time I've ever seen this place. And I was just like, dude, going into this place, it just reeks of fucking history, dude. Legendary status like stuff. You know, I mean, you go in, it looked like it used to be an old church, dude. And this place has like the stained glass on the outside, the windows, you walk in, the stage is an old wooden stage, the seats are all old pews, you know, it, dude, it's a beautiful venue, man, probably one of the coolest places I've ever seen a show, and uh, you walk in, and as soon as, you know, we go in, the first things that I want to check out, of course, meet my friends that I'm meeting there, but I was wanting to get some booze in me, and I'm wanting to hit up the merch booth. And the merch booth is upstairs, so of course, you know, go to the bar, get me a $15, I don't think they had Coors Light, so I think I got me like a $15 Michelob Ultra. $15, shit. Uh, $15, dude, it really hurt, because I easily (laughs) spent like $75 on like three or four drinks, it was ridiculous, dude. But yeah, you know, get my booze, overpriced booze, go upstairs, because the dude was like, oh yeah, the merch booth's upstairs, brother. You know, so go upstairs. The longest merch booth line I've ever seen in my life, dude. It was easily half the fucking crowd. It was insane. You know, and all in all, got me some merch. Got a cool Wasp shirt. Got the little uh, pin, the Eddie Munson Stranger Things pin for my denim jacket. It was cool. Uh, Yeah, it was a great show, dude. Uh, Armored Saint fucking killed it. Now, like on the video I have, you know, I've known of them for years. But I've always been a very, uh, you know, not really a big, huge fan of Armored Saint, more of a casual fan, you know, but I've always liked the songs I've heard of them, you know, and dude, after seeing them rip through, what'd they play, Eric, maybe about an hour? Uh, I'd say, I'd say maybe just a little under an hour, but I mean, it, it was awesome. Right, yeah, so they did 10 songs, and dude, fucking flawless rockin' heavy metal goodness, dude, I mean... John Bush, amazing vocalist. The whole band killed it. Joey Vera, what a fucking bass player. The guy's oh, insane. Yes. You know, Jeff Duncan killed it. Phil Sandoval, Gonzo Sandoval, nailed it. Now I'm a huge fan of them, dude. And I'm going to slowly, slowly but surely buy all their albums. And just, gonna, you know. 
how's John as a frontman? Just out of curiosity. Oh, John? amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's really good, dude. You know what I mean? He doesn't waste your time like Paul Stanley of Kiff. You know, he doesn't really talk a whole lot. Um, you know, I mean, he does what he needs to do. But, I mean, like singing and during the show, dude, he's running back and forth, engaging with the crowd. The dude's, what, is he like 60, Eric? Uh, I think he's younger. I think he's probably 50s. I think he's about like a little young. Because Blackie, I think, is in his 60s. I think yeah. John's still in his 50s, but... You wouldn't think, you know, the way he still sings, the energy he has on stage, man. You wouldn't think that man was like, you know, fifty something years old. Yeah, it sounds like Mick. That even though historically speaking, you're a bigger Wasp fan. It's at least from oh, yeah. what I gathered. You didn't say this definitively in your video, but it sounds like you kind of thought Armored Saint was better, like live, Ooh. like the show. I mean, at least that's. I mean, let's just say it this way. You didn't have any criticism for Armored Saint, and you right. said, like, they made you a new fan, whereas you did, you know, you had a little bit, it sounded, at least the way I took it, it sounded a little right. bit like a mixed review from Wasp Live. Yeah, man, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, like, you I mean, I am a, you know, just like, overall, period, I yeah. am a much bigger Wasp fan, you know, yeah. much bigger. <clears throat> but, dude, Wasp, they, you know, like, Armored Saint killed out, or came out and killed it, dude, and... I really can't say anything bad about it, rather than the show could have been longer, you know. But Wasp did have, I mean, Wasp killed it, Blackie killed it, the whole band was great, but there were some points in the show to where I was just like, dude, ugh, this is not good. You know, just some little critiques here and there. But, you know, we can discuss that here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I know I know Bob's a certain album, but also you, uh, you said right. that you didn't like the fact that he does medleys a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the first song, dude, like the first song, um, let's see, kicks in with On Your Knees, which was killer, goes yeah. into the flame, I love the flame, one of my favorite Wasp songs, then it goes into the torture, never stops, and I was happy to hear the, that. Right, great song, dude, and then it closed out with Inside the Electric Circus. All those songs I fucking love, but all those songs I wish I could have heard you know, all the way through, not just these little medleys, because as soon as the song is really starting to kick in and you start to get into it, it fucking changes. So then you're like, Ugh, you know, but it was great, you know, uh, but then there was a certain section of the show. Now they start kicking <laughs> in with the first three, what I, I got the set list in front of me, the first three songs totally slayed, dude. Yeah. Then the fourth, fifth, and fifth, okay, the fourth and fifth song, totally halted the brakes on this gig and that, I was like oh, and they were long songs too they were really long fucking songs dude. so the yeah. long songs he plays in the entirety but then some of the earlier shorter songs he makes <laughs> part, part of medleys is that the thing yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> that's what made no sense for me yeah yeah it didn't me either dude so I mean like other than that little break in the show which lasted a good 20-25 minutes once that was over, the show kicked back up and Wasp murdered it. So, yeah. Well, I'm curious because yeah, because you had that uh, review of it. I'm curious what what Eric thinks, you know, because I haven't heard Eric's opinion about the show, and if uh, he had similar opinions or not. So, what, what do you what do you think, Eric? So I I traveled for the show, and I was originally gonna see the show in St. Charles because uh, you know there was no shows in Indiana. And St. Charles was actually the closest show to me, and they had two nights there. So I actually bought tickets for the Friday show in St. Charles. Well, they ended up adding dates, and they added one for a place in Verisalis, Ohio. 
and it was slightly closer to me than uh, Illinois. And the other thing was, it was a venue in the middle of nowhere, and it was general admission seating. Nice. Uh, whereas the Arcada in St. Charles, I had a seat, and it was like a nosebleed seat because everything else was way too expensive. I'm like, well, I want to get up to the front of the fucking stage. And then with that, I was able to sell my St. Charles tickets, buy like a, it was like $30 general admission ticket, and I'd be at the front of the stage. And I was able to get a meet and greet. I almost bought both meet and greets, but with the holidays coming up, I decided not to get the Wasp one, get the Armored Saint one. Because I've been a fan of Armored Saint longer than Wasp. And, uh, you know, I still rank them like a little bit higher than Wasp. But uh, I bought the meet and greet at Armored Saint. And I'll tell you, man, this this venue, uh, the BMI uh, Event Center, one of the best venues I've ever fucking been to. It's just so cool. It's in the... You know, it's not in a sketchy city. It's, like, in the middle of fucking nowhere. There's literally, like, a gas station, a laundromat, someone's house, and then, like, all farmland. That was all that was around. Parking was, like, easy. You didn't have to pay for fucking parking. And it was just such a cool venue. And it's, like, a old goat cart track. And oh, it, cool. remi- it reminded me of... My dad used to play floor hockey at this place called uh, Poplar Creek Sports Center in Schaumburg. And... You know, my dad played floor hockey there, which is like hockey without the skates. So they had like the floor hockey rink. I think they had a soccer area. They had an arcade and like a skateboard area. It was the coolest place. And it literally looked just like that. Really cool fucking venue. So I go there. I do the meet and greet at Armored Saint. And man, Armored Saint, if if you can get a meet and greet at those guys, they are the nicest fucking dudes ever. They just came up to, you know, there's only four of us because it was a smaller, uh, you know, market, smaller venue. So there's only like four of us at this meet and greet. And they all came up to each of us, were signing stuff, talking to us. Like, they were super nice. They weren't, like, stuck up, like, oh, God, we got to do this fucking meet and greet. No, they were so nice. They are the friendliest guys ever and, like, actually, like, spent the time talking to us. Like, Phil was fucking hilarious. Um I was bugging him about, like, hey, are you guys are going to play Feel Me tonight, which is an obscure club, club day song. And he was joking around, like, hey, maybe tonight we might play. He's like, maybe tonight you can feel me tonight. Whoa. You know, he's just, <laughs> they were just so funny. Uh, Joey Bear, I was talking to him because he was asking, like, where did you come from? Where are you here from? And I'm like, Goshen, Indiana. He said, like, oh, I got family in Goshen. You know, John Bush was awesome. Uh, I talked a lot with uh, Jeff Duncan, and I was goofing with him about, like, uh, Odin. I'm like, hey, man, when's Odin getting back together? And, like, (laughs) and I'm not speaking, like, I don't know if he really, like, it feels this way. So, like, I'm not spreading rumors, but it's funny. He, the way he answered my question about Odin was, like, in a way he was nicely saying, like, yeah, Randy O's a dick. Because he was like, well, there's one person that's probably kind of putting a halt to it. And, like, he implied, like, it's Randy O. And, like, the way he's talking, it's like, I guarantee Randy O's probably kind of a dick to work with. He probably has that lead singer syndrome. And, uh, but, man, they were just, they were so friendly, man. And, like, they took pictures, uh, signed our stuff, man. They are just the friendliest guys. If you ever get a chance to do a meet and greet at Armored Saints, uh, I'd do it. And then as we're leaving, Wasp was finishing up their sound check, and I wanted to get a like a snap a quick picture, but like immediately they told us like, uh, also guys, uh, please do not take a picture of the sound check. So I like put my phone away like immediately because I don't want to be that guy. So we went, we picked out our T-shirt because you got part of the meet and greet. You got like uh, you got to pick out a T-shirt, you know, any T-shirt you want from the merch booth. So I got my T-shirt. 
And then we went back outside. The Wasp people did their meet and greets. And then we went inside, man. I got my wristband. Went up to the front of the fucking stage, man. I'll tell you, I at shows, I like to be all the way up front, and I like to stand. I don't sit down at a fucking rock show. You know, unless you're seeing Celine Dion, then yeah, sit the fuck down. But if I'm at a rock <laughs> show, I want to stand. But there's a rail. There was a rail there, and that was the most helpful thing because I like <laughs> to bang my head. And I wasn't drinking at the show because I drove by myself. I was like a three, almost a three-hour drive, so I was not drinking at this show. But I am naturally like I have very horrible balance. So, like, if I'm banging my head and I'm standing at a show, like, I lose my balance pretty, like, badly. So, luckily, I had this rail to hang on to. And it was awesome, man. There was, like, this this pretty... She was pretty good-looking for her age, like, older lady, and she had her grandson there. And it was awesome because when I was in first grade, I went to my first KISS show in 2000 for the farewell tour. And so seeing this little kid there was probably almost, like, close to that same age was the coolest thing, man. He was real scared, real nervous, man. But, man, once the show kicked in, he was into it. He was throwing the horns up in the air and just banging his head. And Man, it was the coolest fucking thing, man. And, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was just a great show, man. Armored Saint fucking killed it. And, you know, John Bush, amazing front man, dude. And he came down, like, when he sings Wind Hands Down, he came down off the stage and came up right to the railing that I was at. And started like singing with us, and it was just the coolest fucking thing, man. They, man, they just fucking killed it, man. Armored Saints, one of those bands, they can pick any set list. Like, they can put any set list, like any random songs from any random album, and it'll be a great set list. That band really, there's only one song by them I'm not really the biggest fan of. Arnett, I fucking love everything they've put out. So they fucking burned it. Huh? Oh, what song? Bandit Country. Yeah. That's oh, the only okay, song gotcha. I never got into. But other than that, I love everything they've done. But, gotcha. man, they... Dude, by the time Wasp finished, man, I, my voice was already, like, almost gone. Because I was screaming, singing along with every fucking song. And I'm waiting for Wasp, man. And let me tell you, you know, Wasp, I was kind of, like, looking at the set list. I was kind of disappointed. You know, the whole medley thing. The whole fact that they devoted such a massive chunk of the show to a certain album that we're about to talk about <laughs> soon that yeah. you'll hear my, I'll save my opinion for that when we talk about those songs. But I went to the show though, and I kind of went in with like, you know what? It's not perfect. Yeah. The stage show could be like a little bit more extravagant. Yes. They could have more songs in the set, but you know what? I love this fucking band. I've loved this band since third grade. Right. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to be one of these fucking, like, uh, like uh, complaining people. It's like, I get to see Blackie Lost, man. I didn't think this band would ever come back to the States because I was too young to see them. You know, with the kind of venues they played when I was actually into them. By the time I was old enough to go to those kind of venues, they were done touring America. So I'm like, I get to see fucking Lost. I don't care if it's not perfect. You know, who cares? Yeah. They're playing some of the songs I like. And, man, Wasp fucking blew me away, man. Even... Even one of these songs on this album, I'll admit, I didn't like. And after seeing it at the show and listening to it a couple more times preparing for this review, I actually love it now. And you'll find out that when we talk about it, but Wasp was fucking amazing. <laughs> Same man. here, honestly. Yeah, Wasp, man, they just blew me away. Blackie was amazing. He's actually singing. He has tracks to help him out because if you listen to Wasp songs... There's, like, multiple vocal tracks, and you can't get that sound unless you do tracks or if he had, like, 50,000 vocalists. But it's Wasp, not TSO. He's not going to pay, like, 
five like fucking singers to like join them on stage for backing vocals. Right. I was curious what, what you guys thought about the whole tracks. <laughs> yeah, but I, it, it, I don't mind it, man. I like that I he's honest her. about it, and he's actually singing though, and exactly. he can actually still fucking sing. Unlike Paul, Paul might. My issue with Paul is just he can't sing. He doesn't sound good. Your voice, like, dude, your voice is so gone. Like, just give up. Whereas Blackie can still sing, and he just uses it for to help give it that fuller sound that you you need. Because that's one of Wasps. Uh, that's one of their big things is their vocals. You need those tr- triple, quadruple tracked vocals. But I'll keep it short, man. It was awesome. Hearing Animal Fuck Like a Beast was like the greatest saying because. Growing up, man, going to a fucking Christian school in middle school where they hated my, like, you know, the fact that I was this long-haired kid who wouldn't cut his hair, even though it was, like, against the school policy rules, listening to this heavy metal, it was all about heavy metal and chasing babes, you know, and all this. They didn't like that. That was, like, the, that was, like, my, you know, like, my version of my generation, you know, as just the ultimate rebellious teen anthem, so... Man, something about just screaming like fuck like a beast at that show with everyone in unison. It was just the fucking coolest, man. Uh, I That was tied with that TSO show I saw in November as one of the greatest shows I've ever fucking seen. And big thank you to uh, Michael Brandenvault because he is a big reason a lot of that happened, man. Right. Him putting all that together. And all the haters out there that want to bitch about this show... Fuck you. I had a great fucking time. If you want to sit home complaining on your computer about it, go ahead. Because me, Mick, and many others had amazing times at this show. And I hope they come back for a second leg. Cause Dude, same here. Awesome. I'll be there. I'll, I'll be there. be there. Damn yeah. right. So, Jimmy James, you haven't talked a whole... You haven't gotten to talk a whole lot. So, I'm going to let you go ahead and tell us how you discovered Wasp when you first heard them, and also specifically uh, when you discovered this album that we're going to talk about today. Well, uh, I first heard of Wasp. So, uh, when I was living in South Bend, not too far from from uh, Goshen. Um, hey! Yeah, that's right. Kiss came, <laughs> Kiss came and played at Notre Dame. And it was, I want to say, probably 85 that they were there, early 85. Asylum tour. It was actually it was the tail end of Animalize. It was before no Asylum came out because they still had the the Animal eighty four Animalize stage set, and uh, I didn't get to go, but my older sister got to go, and she came back and she told me about this band that opened up for them that were wearing seatless cha- chaps and <laughs> really crazy cod pieces and were singing songs like Animal and. Uh, so initially being like the you know 10 11 year old kid i gotta check these guys out so i rode my bike took my paper paper route money and went to north village mall which is no longer there and nightwind's record store and i found the first record and bought the first record and um to this day i mean i want to be somebody love machine like those songs still stick with me but that was really about as far as i went for a long time um you know as a kid i didn't have a lot of money to go buy records and there was a ton of stuff you know i it wasn't long after that that i bought kill em all and you know peace sells but who's buying um there's a lot of music that time to discover and so 
I, you know, I never picked up the last command, and it wasn't until years later that I really got into that stuff. So, um, fast forwarding, it was probably just a few years ago that I got into Crimson Idol. And um, from that point, you know, well, that came out about 92. So at that time, I, my stepdad had moved into our house and he brought this giant record collection with him. And I was discovering bands like the James Gang and Grand Funk Railroad. And I was getting into Alice in Chains and I discovered Bad Motor Finger. So there was just this whole world of music that kind of, you know, was in front of me. And, and honestly, Wasp wasn't getting a whole lot of play in, uh, yeah. in the mainstream. And so it was, gosh, probably four or five years ago that I really got into Crimson Idol. And at this point, um, you know, it, in a lot of ways, this album kind of feels like Blackie's love letter to The Who. And I was a, oh, yeah. always been a big Who fan. Yeah. And so that I think that aspect of it has kind of always resonated with me. Um, and there's a lot of points in that album that I think you can point back to. He got that from Tommy or he got that from Quadrophenia. And, and, and even the whole story aspect of it, um, it's different than either one of the stories that kind of threads through either one of those records. But um, musically, a lot of the themes, you can kind of harken back to to the who. So that's really my story with Wasp. I've, I've, I really have to go back and kind of hit some of the records between... Crimson Idol and Golgotha. You know, I've got them in my library, but yeah. I haven't spent time with them. So. Here's a question, Jimmy James. Did you listen to the Headless Children before the Crimson Idol? Yes. That okay. I had. I, I okay. did have that. I picked up the cassette. There was a pawn shop um, that we would go that I would go to with my dad, and they would sell cassettes for a dollar, and they had the Headless, headless Children. And at that point, again, being a Who fan, they had yeah. released the real me. And yeah. I was like, well, that was yeah, I, cool. I feel like you'd have to listen to that album first. Otherwise, I mean, if you jumped from like Last Command or Electric Circus to The Crimson Idol without getting too into it, I'm just saying I feel like everyone would be like, what the fuck? I feel like <laughs> you need like Headless Children as the transition album kind of between early or Wasp yeah. and that Wasp. Yeah, and my well, two favorite albums are, are by far the first album and Headless Children. Um, yeah. I think same. they're just just phenomenal. And, um, you know, and I feel like in a lot of ways, Crimson Idol is the next step from from Headless Children. Yeah, it makes sense as the, the after that, it makes sense. But yeah, yeah. If, if you jumped from the earlier stuff to that, yeah, I imagine that would be disconcerting. So, <laughs> that's it. Oh, so yeah. We'll, we'll now ask Mick, uh, Mick, what's your history with Wasp? Okay, my... Yeah. My story of Wasp. All right. So uh, in the videos, you know, that I've done in the past and, you know, like bringing up, you know, my story of getting in to certain bands and stuff, you know, um, I like to bring up this store a lot because this store back in the late 90s was where I got a lot of cool fucking stuff. from. Man. But there's a store in Kentucky and it's probably throughout the Midwestern parts of the U.S. But anyway, it's a store. um it's a department store called Meyer, okay. And uh, back back then, they back in the back in the late '90s, Meyer had this electronics department that within a store, it was like a record store within a store. 
and it was epic, dude. It was like two or three aisles of just CDs and T-shirts and posters of bands and shit. It was epic, dude. And, uh, you know, so one of the things that I love doing as a teenager and a kid and even now is I love just going to the uh, record stores. And I love thumbing through the albums, whether they're cassettes, CDs, vinyl, whatever. You know, so I was just curious about new music, you know, because growing up, whenever I did, you know, I was really huge into Alice Cooper, um, ACDC, Ozzy Osbourne, later on Kiss, so, and of course Marilyn Manson. So, you know, I kind of had this fucking love for the shock rock, for the darker kind of bands, you know, so that's kind of what piqued my um, um, interest, you know, so I'm admire one day. This would have been in 1998, and uh, you know I'm starting to thumb through the um, um, CDs and stuff, and I remember coming across the CD, this album, and I seen this name Wasp, the W dot A dot S dot P, and I was like, it's interesting looking. So I picked this album up, and on the front cover, it has the cool fucking logo with the Wasp logo with the saw blade and the lightning going through it. And it had pictures of all the guys in the band. Okay, and this album was the 1998 live album, Double Live Assassins, that was recorded on the KFD tour. Yeah, and just seeing the pictures, dude. Like on the album cover, there's a picture of Blackie, and he's holding up a skull, and he's pouring the blood out of the skull, and he's drinking it. And I was just like, dude what the fuck is this you know <laughs> i was like this shit is amazing you know because it's same in line with marilyn manson yes yeah. alice cooper ozzy osbourne you know and uh i saw it and i was like man i really want to fucking get this but at the time 98 i was 13 years old you know my fucking my dad my dad he, he was a cool dude he loved Kiss. He loved, you know, he got me into the Alice Coopers and the Aussies and the Aerosmiths and stuff. Yeah. But just seeing this and looking at the, you know, the like images on the album cover, he would not have gone for that. So I was, <laughs> you know, he's just like, dude, dude, this shit's too, you know, because he knew Alice Cooper and he knew yeah. Ozzy and Sabbath, but Wasp, you know. Not different generation. Thing. Different I, generation. It, yeah. And I feel in a lot of ways, I was going to say this, but later but i'm just gonna say it now because you're it right. works with what you're saying but i kind of feel like blackie lawless is kind of the bridge between alice cooper and marilyn manson in a lot of ways i can know? definitely yeah. see that yeah, yeah. I definitely see that you know so that day i didn't get it but later on i went back and i you know snuck off with my my like money that i got from yeah. cutting the grass you know and i bought it and, you know, but, you know, I mean, because this was the late 90s, and I was really into, like, Marilyn Manson at the time. Yeah, and did I they think, have more of an industrial sound? Uh, they live? did. That yeah. was the yeah. KFD tour where they, yeah, yeah, they went in that direction. Oh, and fun fact, um, the KFD tour was, like, probably, that was probably their most, like, inappropriate, like, raunchiest tour. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, I so know about it now. So there's <laughs> yeah. a thing where Blackie would he had like a you know like what a strap-on looks like it was yeah. a strap-on but instead of like a dildo it was a knife yeah. and he would literally like he would fuck this nun with this knife and like yeah i think too you'd like pull it out and there'd be like a fetus like stuck on the knife yeah. well the second leg of the tour instead of the nun he had uh uh i guess him and marilyn manson had like a uh, a feud or something, and so he actually had a life-size, like, Marilyn Manson, like, dummy 
that he would bring on stage, and he would rape that on stage for the second <laughs> leg of the tour, which was, like, insane. But right, go, on, a- go on, Mick. I had to point that out because not a lot of people know about that. I've seen videos. Right, exactly. Yeah. Did you know about that stuff when you got into them, or it was just this one live album? Uh, no, man. Like, I didn't know anything about Wasp except for seeing this and seeing, you know, the picture of Blackie with the skull and the blood. I was like, I gotta check this shit out, you know. And then I got it finally. And you, you mean because I was such a fan of Kiss, yeah, and uh, Motley Crue and uh, Alice Cooper, Ozzy, blah blah blah. You know, having that style of rock mixed in with the newer KFD stuff that was kind of industrial, like Manson, Nine Inch Nails, White Zombie. It was just like, you know, for me it was perfect. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, this fucking band rules. And then from then on, I mean, this was years later because, like Jimmy, growing up, I didn't have a lot of money, you know. So plus back then, that's whenever I started getting into my beer drinking and weed smoking days. So most of my <laughs> money went to buying dope and fucking booze for me and my friends, you know. Yeah. You know. Um, so it was years later whenever I got. I think I got uh, Wasp, the first album, next, and then uh, um, Inside the Electric Circus. Did, did you know, like, Wild Child? Because that was a relatively well-known song. Dude, I mean, honestly, before I bought it, I had not heard any Wasp. Wow. Yeah. I had not heard anything. I just bought it on just the image of the band and the song titles. You know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, animal fuck like a beast. Who wouldn't think that's yeah. <laughs> You know, so, yeah, that's the story for Wasp for me, man. And then uh, I slowly started to collect all the albums and think they're a great fucking band they're grossly underrated dude and uh one thing that really bugs the piss out of me and that was you know wasp is not a fucking hair band not even close oh yes no they are not i agree don't throw wasp in the same category there's no offense poison. right dude right okay like, image wise they all had the fluffy hair I everyone that. did it was the fucking 80s right but fucking musically where's the comparison come on no. I, I could kind of see it if you were just if you just knew the singles from Last Command, maybe. I mean, but that's about, but that's about it. That not even the yeah, Electric uh, Circus too. Not, that was probably the most hair metal sounding yeah. album. Yeah, like right. the s- singles. If you heard the singles ma- from those two albums, maybe. But even when you listen to those albums though, in the deep tracks, not really. You know, but right. I, Blackie has tremendous depth to him that I don't think oh, people does. recognize. One thing I just I'm gonna go now because I'm the newest. I mean I wouldn't yeah, say so I'm gonna be I'm gonna go for a very long time. So you go ahead, Edwin. Let me go. Uh, it's interesting because I I mean I'm not entirely new to the band. I for a very long time had the first two albums. So I did live with the uh, debut in the Last Command for some time. I didn't listen to them back in the day, but I was. Like when I say back in the day, I mean like V Day, the eighties, because I was a little <laughs> too young. I was, a, you know, in elementary school. I was a little too young, and it was pretty much just whatever my older brother listened to. Like I, in my videos, I, you know, I like like Mick. I talk about like how I got into music and shit, and I talk about my older brother and how because he was like five years older, so he was like in high school when I was in el- elementary school. So and he loved Dokken and Cinderella and Striper, and he loved a lot of bands, but. Wasp wasn't one of the bands he was into, so because of that, I didn't hear them so much. Uh, but, but this just tells you something about the reputation they had. Even though my brother didn't listen to them, 
I knew about Wasp because the kids talked about them a bit. I, I just I knew that there was this really dirty band that uh, I remember the other kids saying they were. Everyone was into acronyms in the '80s. It was a big whether or not the band <laughs> legitimately had an acronym. But I remember because it was like during the time of the Satanic uh, Panic. So I remember people saying like ACDC me- means Antichrist Devil Child and yep. Kiss. Kiss means knights and Satan's service, you know? And I remember Wasp, and from what I know, this actually was the case, <laughs> it was intentional. Wasp meant we are sexually perverted. And <laughs> that's something that I knew. So I knew about the acronym and what it meant before I even heard a Wasp song, because it was just something the kids talked about. Down in Florida, the kids were talking about, there's this really dirty band, and they like just like, telling each other shit that's what little kids are like you know like even if they don't know shit they just like to kind of spread the gossip of something dirty happening (laughs) you know like hey there's this band and they're called wasp and it means we are sexually perverted and the other kids go yeah that's cool and that's it and they're just you know talking a bunch of bullshit you know (laughs) anyway so that's what i knew about wasp i knew that there was some dirty rock band called wasp and but my brother didn't listen to them so i don't know it was probably maybe 90 89 or 90 headbangers fall i saw wild child you know so it was already a little bit past you know it's prime in terms of their popularity but it was a video you would occasionally see on headbangers fall it's like kind of a classic mid-80s metal video and i i always loved that song i thought it was a catchy song and you know and i loved stuff like docking and early cinderella and things like that so i liked melodic mid-80s metal and that's like kind of a perfect melodic probably i would still say yeah probably their most commercial song which and i guess that's why it's probably the biggest song and so i always liked that song and it was a cool video them out in the desert you know rocking out made me think of the wraith you know i'm big fan of that movie the wraith they love that movie yeah that's like three episodes now you've mentioned it (laughs) it seems like that sounds that song should have been in the wraith but wasn't for some reason but anyway so (laughs) i I always like that song but it's a little bit like what jimmy james was saying the timing was just off like if i heard wild child and i was just a little bit older you know if i I mean i probably would have got into them but when I was like entering junior high, like that shit was already kind of on the way at, was already on the way out. Like I was already starting right, to get into like 70s classic rock and thrash and Metallica and stuff like that. And by the time we got into the early 90s, like no one was talking about Wasp anymore. So even though they were doing these really cool albums and, you know, like Headless Children and stuff like that, no one was talking about that. I could just tell you that maybe it was different for some old school headbangers. But I can tell you, as a as a kid in junior high, no one was talking about that shit. No one was talking about Wasp. And short of Wild Child, you never saw any of their videos on MTV. So, so to me, they were just some band, some like quote unquote hair metal band from the mid '80s that had a cool name with like a dirt meaning behind it. That's it. That's all I thought about Wasp. So that was pretty much it. And it wasn't until I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe about 10, 15 years ago. I don't know. It was like whenever the period was, I kind of got back into a lot of older metal and started to get into like the new wave of British heavy metal and shit like that. Probably, you know, it's probably because I was getting into a lot of Kiss stuff that I hadn't listened to before. I don't know, maybe early to mid-2000s. And 
that's when I was like, I think it was probably also because I was getting a lot of uh, remasters of Doc and stuff, and I was listening to Doc and again, and I don't know. I don't know when, but at, at some point around then, I got the first Wasp album and The Last Command. And I loved the first album. Loved it. Still love it. It's one of my favorite Perfect. 80s metal albums. Perfect album. Everyone loves yep. it. Who doesn't love Absolutely. the first Wasp album? And it was... Six. It was that remastered later version that has, you know, you know, the, you know, the fuck like an animal, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> it, had, it had that as the opening track, which is better. It seems weird. I guess, Jimmy James, when you first had it back in the day, that wasn't the first song, right? No, it wasn't, wasn't even near it. So yeah. it wasn't, uh, they didn't have so, it on there. Yeah. So it sounds weird to me. That's like just the version I've always heard. So that's yep. just the version I have. But it's great. And even the B sides that uh, that were attached with that album, it was great. I loved it. The last command I liked, but I didn't love. Uh, although thrower. it did have some awesome songs. You know, Widowmaker and Ball Break. Uh, what, what's the Ball Break? Is it not Ball, ball Break? Ball Crusher. Ball Crusher. Yeah, ball Crusher. That's right. Yeah, Ball Crusher. Best, 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 yeah, Ball Crusher is a cool song. You know, Blind Texas, of course. Wild, Wild Child's a classic. I still love that. Uh, yeah, Never that's the best that song. Album. That's the best song on the album, easily. Yeah, so. but I mean, it's a, it's a good album. It's not as yeah. consistent. It's obviously their slickest production. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's and then I think I sampled Electric Circus, and I didn't think it sounded as good. I changed my opinion about that album now. Yeah, I love that album, man. Yeah, it's really right, me I, too. Yeah, it's I really grower. Like it. It's definitely a grower. It's kind of like kind of like uh, Dancing Undercover. It's like they're dancing yeah. under. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he nailed that. He nailed the comparison. It. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's one of those albums that doesn't hit you right away, but it's a grower. It's yep. very consistent. Like I think there's a couple songs on Last Command that are stronger, but overall, I think Electric Circus is a little more consistent. And I agree. I, yeah, and it's a, I like the production a little bit better. It's a little raw. I like the, the guitar tones, a little more ACDC-ish. It's a, it's a cool album. I like it. But right. I only really start to get into it in the past 48, 48 hours. Cause this is, <laughs> oh, wow. Here's the headline. The headline is, for about 10-something years, the only two Wasp albums I had were the first two. And I never really did the deep dive past Electric Circus. Okay. I, yeah, so I'm really new to Wasp. I was just kind of a casual fan that just really liked the first album. But listening to it, I feel like I've made a, uh, a grave mistake. Because also, Headless Children, I fucking love. I We're not talking about that album today. So I can't crush it. Unfortunately. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, oh, I'm talking about this album. Cause that's like now my second favorite Wasp album. That album's fucking nice. Yes, I would nice. say the first one's still probably my favorite. But Headless Children, fucking hell, that's an epic album. Every song's great. I fucking yes, it love is, it. man. Yeah, it blew me away. And then I had to listen to the album that we're reviewing, and and I gotta tell you, I I'll save my opinion about it. I feel like I'm probably gonna be somewhere in the middle here. I, I will uh. just say I, uh, I liked it better than I thought I would. Because uh, in theory, this is the kind of album I don't normally like. You know, you've heard me all. You've all heard me yeah, say hate I don't like. I don't, I don't like concept right. albums for the most part. And right. this is very concept albumish. Oh, it is. It <laughs> is. Yeah. And, and, and it has. I have a few issues with it, especially towards the 
the end, which we'll get to a little bit. But there are some songs I really love, and I really love the production. And I, I there's a lot of things I like about this album, which we'll get into. <coughs> and I like the album that's afterwards a little bit better. Uh, still not black so, enough. Yeah, oh, still underrated. Not, still not black enough. That I feel the songs are a little shorter, a little catchier, a little punchier. Uh, I know it was like only released in Japan at first, so like not a lot of people yeah. heard it. I only just got a copy recently, thanks to a member of the RMCP Army, and you know it's it's just it's it's cool. And I haven't really I haven't really gone past that. So you know, at the end of the episode, I'm going to ask you guys about post '90s like Wasp and what's going on there. But but I will say this: for the past 48 hours, I've been listening to a lot of late 80s early 90s wasp <laughs> and, and i'm really digging it and, you know i really love that song from the ghoulies 2 soundtracks really great too scream <laughs> oh, until you like it oh scream until you like it great Dude, i love song. that fucking song man great song and like so and like you know so now now i said in an earlier episode that i wasn't much of a wasp guy well i feel like i am a wasp guy i just didn't know it i feel, really feel they're a great band i agree they're underrated they're just down and dirty and they just combined a lot of music i love in a lot of ways i feel uh and i think you guys will get this but i feel like it's kind of like what 80s kiss would have been like if gene simmons was like the only songwriter and singer in the band and not paul stanley right yeah i can see that's good i can see that yeah and if he cared about expressing himself more than money like I feel like, right. <laughs> I feel like that's what Wasp is, and that's like yeah. pretty cool. Because as you guys know, I prefer a more of a Gene guy than a Paul Stanley guy. So even though there is a Paul Stanley related guitarist that's on this album, um, but yeah. we'll, we'll talk about. It. I assume they're the same guy, right? This is the Bob, same Bob Kulik that's on the yep, seven eight. The, yeah, <laughs> it is guy. the same guy. They got. Wow. Well, we'll talk about that when we get there, because I, I might have some positive things to say about his guitar soloing. Um, but yeah, so but one question, though. With the, OK, between the Paul Stanley 78 album and this album, what did Bob Kulik do? Was he in a band or something? Was like Band he, in the Hell before, before the Paul he, Stanley album? Yeah, I know. In a band in between, I know, but I forget yeah. the name, because I just saw an interview uh, I saw an interview with with someone in the Wasp camp, and like he was in some like you know kind of unknown fucking band, and he did a lot of session yeah. work. I know he worked with like you know uh, Diana Ross, I think, or Donna yeah. Summer, and like he, he was a, he was mainly a session guy for right. pretty much his whole career. So why yeah, did they uh, why did they go with uh, his younger brother Bruce instead? Was it did Bob not really? Because Bob look? did not look right. He, he was look. a weird. Bald head guy with a mustache, with porn stash. <laughs> okay, he has the same haircut that he I have. He's a goofy that looking was, guy. <laughs> okay, okay. So he didn't yeah. have the right look for it. Okay. Yeah. Or is Bruce Kulik a, a sexy looking dude? Uh, you know, a sexy looking dude. <laughs> He's a handsome man. Yeah. 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 But uh, and Bruce is a good guitarist. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I feel Bob's better. Am I the only one that thinks this? I love Bob. Everything I've heard him play on, I usually I love his guitar work. As Paul Stanley's seventy eight solo album, and that's one of my 
That's that's in my lit. That's in like my top thirty albums, man. I love oh, wow. that fucking album. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're probably the only one of us that thinks it's better than the Ace Frehley one. But because Paul Stanley, <laughs> like, well, back in '78, Paul Stanley was a better singer. Ace was never a good singer. I, I never oh, liked. I like his voice for like one song per album, but I can't stand a whole album of him singing. It's fucking rock and roll, oh, wow. and you don't like right, a whole. Right. It's so monotone and like. Don't you know I'm a two? No. It's cool for one. It's no, cool for like one or two songs. not that monotone. It's, it's, cool, it's cool for one or two songs Ace for a whole some. album. I can't do yeah. it. Ace pops more than that. It's it's cool. He sounds not cool. In, like, in that era, dude, Ace had some really cool fucking Bronx swag, dude. Yeah. Plus, he's really belting it out and like rip it up and stuff yeah. like that. Rip it yeah. out. He's got yeah, a cool grit to him. When Ace, Ace tries... He's got a cool voice, man. He's got yeah. a really cool voice. Yeah, he gets there nice was some and heavy. There on Rip It Out too. It wasn't just like him. Well, you know, he had some, right. you know, some grit to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah. But anyway, I want to p- pile up on Eric over his uh, liking Paul Stanley more than Ace Freely thing. Right. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> quick but thing. I yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. But, no, um, go ahead, quick... man. Yeah, quick thing. Uh, from 1980 to 1983, Bob Kulik had a band called Balance. I have to check them Anyone out. Anyone heard right. Balance? I have Balance. No. <laughs> <Never heard laughs> I, I don't know anything Did about them. Did he them. influence the Van Hagar record band? <laughs> oh, my God. Probably so, that. yeah. Oh, God. No, because Bob Kulik actually plays on some good stuff. <laughs> oh, he does, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I think he was with uh, fucking uh, Meatloaf, too, wasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, he was with Meatloaf, and yeah. he plays guitar on that uh, that SpongeBob song, "Sweet Victory," <laughs> and that song fucking rules. It got Kiss like I, <laughs> but I'll just say it here: I do think uh, one of the stronger aspects of this album is I think there's some really amazing guitar solos. I think Bob Kulik is he's a really good player, and I I think this is a, a little bit better than what he even did on the Paul Stanley <laughs> solo album. Blasphemy. I'm so, I, I like that album. I'm not as in love with it as you. I, to be honest, I don't even really remember the guitar solos. I, I got a funny story though. Like, I, I used to make like mix CDs for girls I had crushes on in, uh, like in middle school and like early high school. And like this, there's this girl named Kayla, and I, I she was so fucking hot. And like I made her a mix CD. And I was literally just the Paul Stanley solo album. Oh, minus <laughs> minus the whole "Me Touch Me" song. I made sure to remove yeah, that shit. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, here's the question: Did it work? It did not work. So oh! I went back. It did not work. See, so you want Should have went with Ace. Right. Oh, I'm in need of love. It would have worked, Eric. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Ace well, is I, the album you play after the rejection. That's the one. Right. Yeah, that's because it starts to rip it out. I actually played that song after I broke up with Michelle Zambrano. Uh, yeah, that was a painful breakup. But I, I'm gonna go into I'm, I'm gonna go into how I discovered Wasp, man. Because I am like I'm excited to do this episode. I'm happy I'm doing it with uh, you know obviously Edwin, but also Jimmy James and uh, Mick Watkins. I'm, I'm happy to be talking some Wasp. I've been on a Wasp kick lately. I'm still on a high from that show, man, but. I discovered Wasp in third grade, man, because I, I was very early, uh, very early bloomer with my love of heavy metal and hard rock. So in third grade, I would watch Metal Mania on VH1 Classic. That was my headbangers ball, and uh, I used to always watch it when I was at my dad's house because he had Comcast digital cable. I was in third grade, 
And I had heard about Wasp because my dad had the hearing aid VHS. He had a couple of heavy metal VHS tapes like Cinderella, Judas Priest, and a couple of other ones. And on the hearing aid one, it like named all on the back. It had all the people that were a part of it and uh, the bands they were with. And so I look at this and I was like trying to find bands like I hadn't heard yet. And one of them was Wasp. And I just remember seeing that and I thought that is the coolest fucking band name ever. And I'm like, I need to hear this Wasp band. Well, you know, a couple weeks later, man, watching Metal Mania, it's like, uh, you know, almost the end of the show. And, like, so they had time for one more video. I'm like, all right, what's the final video going to be? All of a sudden, I see fucking Blackie Lawless on his goddamn Harley Davidson riding through a fucking desert. And then, like, I see the band, and they they look like Motley Crue, shot the devil or a Motley Crue with, like, Kiss and her playing in a fucking desert, and then you have all the shots of Blackie being, like, stalked by this, like, you know, this, like, you know, 80s-looking chick on his motorcycle, and the song was amazing. Obviously, I'm talking about Wild Child, if you don't, you know, for other listeners that don't know what I'm talking about. Um, still one of my all-time favorite fucking videos. Just everything about them was fucking cool. You had Randy Piper, who who's my favorite member of Wasp besides Blackie, I think he was very underrated. I feel like, uh, you know, he really brought a lot to the table. And, uh, you know, he looked like Paul Stanley. He, you know, had the cool, like, guitar with, like, that skull and crossbone on it. And uh, there's actually a guitar shop, uh, JC's Guitars, that I used to go to a lot with my dad. And they actually had that guitar. And it was awesome. I think it was the actual one Randy Piper used. But yeah, you know, Chris Holmes looked cool. Blackie was awesome. I, I thought Blackie was the coolest guy ever. And that video was just awesome. And from there, I was hooked. My dad, you know, on Columbia House, ended up getting, uh, I believe he got the first album, and then he got, like, a best of. And, you know, they had Fuck Like a Beast. You know, all those songs were just amazing. And I, I, I love them because I like the fact that they were, like, dirty. They were, like, Kiss and Motley Crue, but, like, they were, like, X-rated. Like, even my dad, there was one day we're listening to, like, one of those CDs in the car, and at the time, I kind of got in trouble uh, for my my heavy metal music because I was like the weird kid. I liked heavy metal, ace heavy metal music. I had weird interests. You know, I didn't really fit in with the other kids because I was bullied a lot, and I'd get into a lot of fights with kids because kids would be like fucking with me, and I'd have to defend myself. But because I'm like the weird kid, the school actually would be like, "He's the problem. Your son, you know, he's not like everyone else. He's a problem." So my mom, for like a little bit there, was kind of like, man, you should slow down on the heavy metal music, which luckily she came to her senses and realized that the school was the problem and not me. You know, I'm just a kid just being himself. But when my dad and I would listen to Wasp, that was one of the only bands where my dad was like, hey, please do not tell your mom I'm letting you listen to this band. Because we're, we're in the car one day and I think like On Your Knees was playing or one of those songs. And my dad just kind of looks at me like, hey, just like I said, don't tell your mom I let you listen to this band or I'm going to get in big trouble. You know, and I like that about them. I love that they're kind of like the first, you know, when you're young, you like stuff that you're technically not supposed to, to listen to or whatnot. And I, I was obsessed with this band, man. You know, I, me and my dad were first day buyers for a lot of their new albums like uh, Unholy Terror, um, which I love. Dude, that's a Dying, good album. That's a great album, Dying yeah. for the World, which that one I didn't like as much at first, but then it, it's grown on me because I really, before this show, I really deep-dived into a lot of the post-90s like Wasp that I didn't care for as much, but I never gave it a chance. 
And a lot of it's grown onto me to the point where Wasp has moved up like to my number five in my rankings of like wow. favorite bands. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I we and then Neon God was where I was kind of like gave up on being a first day buyer because that one didn't do anything for me. But I, I was really into Wasp. The first uh, four albums, really, I loved. Uh, middle school, I really liked them because middle school, like I said, I. I was at a Christian private school, and you know they they just hated me. They hated my long hair. I was always hitting on girls, and they're like, "No, you can't be hitting on girls. No premarital, you know, no premarital sex, no touching." And I just broke all the rules. Love my heavy metal, and they hated that. And Wasp was one of those bands, man. Just like because they're so rebellious, they let me be that rebellious kid, man. And so like hearing "fuck like a beast" and all that was just like you know it made me feel good. And then uh, I guess I'll talk about. I already talked about, like, you know, how I discovered Wasp. Um, I guess I'll talk about this album, because this was one album I did not hear by Wasp for the longest time until I was in my, I believe it was my senior year of high school. And uh, I had never heard this album, because the only song I knew was Chainsaw Charlie, which, for whatever reason, I didn't like that song at first. I don't know why, which now, you know, spoiler alert, it's, one of, it's probably the best song on the album, in my opinion. And, uh... I didn't like that song at first, so I, 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 did, I avoided this album for a while. Well, it was the end of like my senior year in high school, and it was it was a tough time for me. My band broke up. A lot of, me and my friends kind of grew distant from each other. Uh, you know, we just, you know got into fights over stupid high school shit. You know, we all get along now, but you know we were you know not getting along at that time. And I had a girlfriend named Tara who dumped my ass. She cheated on me. I mean, that bitch was hopping from guy to guy. I mean, that that bitch changed uh, boyfriends more than she changed underwear, man. Let me just say that. But uh, she she broke my heart, man. And she cheated on me, left me. And it was just the accumulation of all those things. I you know my I lost my band. I lost my girl. I lost you know I I was graduating. I was like scared of like you know transitioning from high school to being an adult. I was still dealing, too, with my other breakup with my Chinese girlfriend, Nini, that hot piece of Chinese ass, goddamn. Um, she was the one that got away. But, yeah, it was it was tough. I was also losing my voice, too, at the time. I was having difficulty with my vocals, and I, at the time, I still wanted to be a rock star. And I was supposed to go to Texas with my friend Jack to start a band, and we had gigs and everything lined up, and I, just, I couldn't do it because my voice was I, – I fried my voice out. It, it, so it was a really tough time, like a really dark time in my life, and uh, you know, just really struggling with myself. Like, where where do I go from here? So I was listening to "Still Not Black Enough." I forget what song it was, but there's a song I liked. I think it was "Keep Out Holding On" because I was still heartbroken. Yeah. And that song and that album was awesome because it's kind of dark, you know. And so then I'm like, well, let me listen to "Crimson Idol" before it. And when I first heard "Crimson Idol," I thought. Blackie Lost. This guy's a musical genius. This is a masterpiece. I love this album. Because I was very woe is me, like, down in the dumps, feeling sorry for myself. But as time went on, and, like, I got over that breakup, and my life, you know, I, I grew as a person, I began to like this album less and less. And I, in spoiler alert, I think it's, like, probably my, it's one of my least favorite Wasp albums. The only other albums I think are worst are... Uh, Eldorado and the Neon God albums. Other than that, I think Crimson Isle is just, I think it's overrated. I think it could have been a better album had he not gone with the whole concept thing. 
and I just I feel it's very overrated, and obviously it sucks because Blackie like is in love with this album, and a lot of people do love it. So you're gonna hear those songs when you go to shows, but it was one of those ones that like really aged badly for me. And I think if you want to hear a good rock opera like concept album about a rock star that has issues, I am a big fan of Streets of Rock Opera by Sabotage, and I think that's a better album. And I'll kind of do a comparison as we go song by song. So. Edwin, who who do you want to start with for this album? Do you want to go first since you're a, a newbie here? You're breaking your wasp cherry. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go first uh, the, because okay, this is an album. Uh, again, like it's all about expectations and how you go into things. And I've only listened to this album in its entirety twice. So I, I've listened to a couple songs from it a few more times. But in terms of its the whole album from beginning to end, and I'm not counting like bonus tracks and shit like that, just you know, the the ten songs only twice. But it makes an impression. This is like an album you listen to one time and you fucking remember it. I will say that it's a memorable <laughs> album, <laughs> good or for worse. Yeah, I mean, it's all like like the first time you listen to like you know like you know, songs from the Elder. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it makes an impression. Um. um but like I said, my expectations was, was that I was going to hate this album. It's going to be horrible. Who wants to hear a fucking concept album about a rock star? Blah. Like, how many times have we already heard that already? Like, it's a tired concept. The Who already did it. Pink Floyd did it. The Wall's about that. It's Sabotage perfected it. Yeah, the, the whole idea of a rock star and he becomes like a messiah figure. Like, it's been, it was already done to death by the time he did this. So, so I'm going into this kind of cynically, thinking it's going to be like some Spinal Tap type shit, and it won't be that good. So, um, I will say I was pleasantly surprised. I it, it'll be ironic if I end up liking this album more than everyone else here. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll feel feel different a year from now. But going into this, I was expecting to hate this album, and and I was listening to it after another album that I think was much stronger. Like I said, I really got into the Headless Children, and I love that album. Now I don't love this album. You know, I definitely don't love it like I love the Headless Children. But that kind of set me up to want to hear more shit like it. And in there, at its best moments, this does sound like the album afterwards. You know. And I know, I know officially, I mean, I know at first it was going to be like a solo album and then he slapped the Wasp name on it. But, you know, ultimately Wasp always, even in the early days from what I'm reading, always had a lot of lineup changes and guitar changes. And, you know, he switched from bass to guitar. I mean, you know, it's Blackie Lawless's band. You know, ultimately Wasp is Blackie Lawless, like Motorhead is Lemmy or Whitesnake is David Coverdale. Like, you know, right. so, so... yeah, so that doesn't really bother me. To me, this is wasp. You know, you know, it's it's, it's that it makes sense after the headless children. This sounds like what the next album would sound like. Um, so, so I guess uh, what I'm saying in general is I like this album. I think it's a good album as far as concept albums go because I like the production. I think it's a really kind of punchy production. I like the sonics, uh, especially with the heavier songs. It kind of continues this kind of wall of sound approach with the production, which I dig. One thing I really loved about the Headless Children is there's this kind of, you know what I mean, like wall of sound, like a little like Orgasmatron. Um, mm. 
Motorhead, where it just sounds like the guitars and you got like keyboards, but the keyboards are like buried well in the mix and the right. drums are really kind of big sounding. And I, don't, I just in the backing vocals and I like I like the sonics of it. I think it's very powerful. And there's a couple songs when they get into more rocking songs. I really like the musicianship. I like the guitar playing. Blackie Laws, Lawless's vocals are really impressive. The songwriting's decent. It's like, obviously, like Jimmy James was saying, it's obviously very Who-influenced. And But even the, la- the album before this, you know, they did the cover of The Real Me. So it's not like he's hiding it. He's like wearing his Who fandom, like right, you know, like a badge of honor. And yeah, this album especially, like even in the beginning with the Titanic overture, I mean, he's doing Tommy. I mean, Tommy started with an overture, so... He's doing, and even the way he's playing the acoustic guitar is very similar to the sound of the acoustic guitar in Tommy, especially like the studio version of Tommy. It so I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, he's like, you know, he wanted to do Tommy. It's like he, this is my Tommy, but he, I think, did a pretty good Tommy. It's a, it's like it's a good early '90s version of like a more hard rock and Tommy. So. And I like Tommy's. Uh, it's not one of my favorite Who albums, but I like it. That's like one of the few concept albums I do like because it, it, you know, rocks and spots, and you know, I like the sound of the album. So, yeah, I think this album rocks and spots. I think there's some really good songwriting. I do have some issues with it, especially towards the end a bit. But overall, I like this album more than I was expecting. But who knows? Maybe six months from now, I'll put it on and be like, "What the fuck was I thinking?" (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's because my expectations were low. I don't know, but I like this album. I think it's a cool album, and I will say this for Blackie Lawless: the guy was doing what he wanted to fucking do. I mean, this is 1992. Mm -hmm. This doesn't sound like anything in 1992. That took a a lot of fucking balls, dude. Yeah, I mean, who does Mm -hmm. an album like this in 92? I feel like if he had done it two years earlier, it actually would have been a successful album i feel yeah. like i feel like the ballad on it um which we'll get into when we talk about it later but i feel like hold on to my heart would have been a hit maybe in 89 or 90 yep. i feel like i feel like like right after like if this was like a year after operation mind crime like i feel like people would have thought of this as like wasp operation mind crime and i feel like it would have i feel like they you know it just would have done something different for his career <laughs> But it was just a little late. You know, we've talked about this before with some of these early 90s albums because sometimes a year made a difference, you know? And 92, he did this shit after Nevermind. Like, nope, nope, not going to work. <laughs> not going to happen. No one's going to want an album like this after 92, you know? Uh, but two years, if he had done this two years earlier, I think uh, it would have been a different story. I feel like this would have been a big album, actually. And I'm curious what you guys all think about it, uh, in general, but if we're starting track for track, the Titanic Overture, as pretentious as that title <laughs> is, uh, I, I, I musically I like it, and it's not too long. It's only like three minutes thirty-one seconds. It kind of gets things started. It's like, yeah, this is a rock opera. It's like, okay, let's get this out of the way. We know it's a rock opera. He's doing the overture. There's some musically cool things. It keeps moving. It keeps changing, and it definitely uh, it sets up the next song, which we'll talk about when we talk about the next song. But uh, I liked 
the Titanic Overture more than I thought I would. And even though overall I like The Elder better than this album, if if we're talking about that later version of The Elder, the one that we all have, which puts it in the chronological order, which begins with fanfare and like a boy and all that shit. I, I like this opening better. <laughs> this is better than fan. It's better than fan. fan. No that's that's not saying much. That's the headline. <laughs> so I like the Titanic over to better and fanfare. What do you oh, think, boy. Mick? Oh, all right. All right. So, okay. The wasp. The hey, Mick, real quick, man. I, I, are you, are you okay over there, man? I, I, you have the sniffles like really badly. No, that's me. Oh, I'm are, sorry. Are you partying? Yeah. Are you partying doing, hardcore he, over there? Well, yeah. Actually, right now I've got like because I've been forced to listen to the Crimson Idol, I've got like <laughs> five or six fucking lines of cocaine right here broke out on my table. Yeah. And two dead hookers on the floor. Oh hey, babe. shit. Yes. Yeah. Now I got a third one dead. Dance right, with right, Betty right. White. <laughs> Dance with Betty White tonight because I've been forced to listen to Crimson Idol. Uh, that, that would drive me to a coke binge too. My God. Right. So beyond the cocaine binge that I'm going through, and maybe even heroin next. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't do the heroin. Stop. <laughs> no, no, it's not just pretty bad towards the end. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So watch the Crimson Idol. You know, hang on, make you do more of the list. Hang on, make you another <laughs> white coke opening. Hang on. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, Woo! that was yeah! a mind blower right there. Oh, okay, okay. Hey, let me take another quick of Coors Light. Hang on. <laughs> okay, so Wasp the Crimson Idol. Okay, now here's the thing that I think of when I think of the Crimson Idol. Okay, so kind of like Alice Cooper. Okay, Wasp and Alice Cooper. You had Alice Cooper from what Pretties for You to Muscle of Love. That was the Alice Cooper band. Okay. Yeah. I think of Wasp as kind of the same thing from Wasp, the first album, to um, Edless uh, Children. To me, Wasp was a band. Yeah. I mean, you had Chris Holmes, Randy Piper, uh, fucking Stephen Riley, Johnny Rod, my boy Johnny Rod. Yeah, Johnny Rod. Him. My favorite member besides Blackie actually partied with Johnny Rod last summer. It was nice. fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Right, 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 in, in uh, Michigan, Saginaw, Michigan. You know, so anyway, so you've got from the first album to, um, what's it, Endless Children, to me, Wasp was a band, you know, and you can hear other influences in the writing. You can hear Randy Piper, Chris Holmes, Johnny Rod, all those influences. And then I believe from this album on, Wasp was almost like Blackie Lawless solo under the yeah. Wasp banner. Yeah. You know, so this this is like it's welcome to my nightmare. Basically, yeah, that's how I think of the different eras of Wasp. And this is like Blackie coming out. This is me. This is my true artistic expression. This is the greatest thing I've ever done. You know, and it kicks off with track number one, the Titanic Overture. Ugh. Now tonight, previously before the episode, I uh, listened to this album fresh, yeah. and I wrote some notes. Got two and a half pages of notes. And Ooh. I'm going to be brutally honest. I'm going to be brutally honest with you guys. I hope to not offend anybody. <laughs> but I, I'm going to speak from the heart because I love Wasp. Uh, the Titanic Overture. My notes say, cool jamming tune. Not bad. But in spots, sounds kind of pompous. Self-important bullshit. Wannabe Pete Townsend who crap. Gotta be honest, I'm not a Who fan. The Who has never done nothing for me. 
yeah, to me, this album kicks off with a fucking dud, dude. I've never been a, f- a fan of Pete Townsend's songwriting, nothing. And this just sounds like wannabe who, who music. That's yeah. what it sounds like to me. It's got to like, hurt for you if you don't like the Who. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. You know, I respect the Who. Dude, the Who's a huge influence on all the bands I love. Coming from Kiss to Wasp, blah, 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 blah. But they never done anything for me. Because as you all know, you know, and Edwin, we've talked about it. Yeah. I, I'm not really into late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, you don't like the hippie shit. I don't like the hippie shit. And to me, the, the who was hippity dippity. Fucking yeah, hippies, right. Yeah, yeah. This is and this is kinda hippie ish, yeah. This is hippie for the early night. This is yeah, yeah. hippies for the early night. So yeah, Titanic Overture starts off with a shit sandwich. That's all I got. <laughs> Alright, Jimmy James, what do you well first just in general? It, it, and don't go off too long about this, but in general, what do you think about the Who hippie shit, and then this album and this <laughs> and this opening in that I order? I love the Who. <laughs> oh man, Jimmy, I'm sorry, dude. No, it's it's all cool. And, and I'll tell you what, Mick, Mick, you're you're partly responsible for me discovering one of my favorite bands of all time now, which is oh. BOC. So oh, nice. I owe you a big debt of gratitude for for that and a lot of your videos. So cool, no, you. it's 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 all love over here. So, <laughs> right on. Cheers, dude. Right on. Cheers. But Jimmy uh-huh. James is like me. We both like, actually, more so than you and Eric. Me and Jimmy James like, we love a lot of that late 60s hippie shit. So, yeah, we're into gotcha. that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, and, and again, you know, I mentioned it earlier. This is this is kind of Blackie's love letter to The Who. And, and you know, Edwin was spot on with a lot of the acoustic stuff being very Townsend-ish. And... <clears throat> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. So, um, and I think one of the things we haven't talked about yet is Frankie Benali plays the majority of the drums on this. And I think he is absolutely phenomenal. Frankie Benali, totally different than what he was doing with Quiet Riot. Um, you can really hear the Keith Moon influence. Yeah. The one thing I will say is, is when you listen to Keith Moon play, it always felt like he was one step away from just like the wheels falling off the car. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was yeah. that was yeah. Keith Moon, where Benali feels very calculated. Like it was yeah. like it was planned, um, yeah. but but just phenomenal. It wasn't your straightforward drumming. You know, you, you get some of that, but um, a lot of just off the wall Tom stuff, and and you, and you kind of get a taste of that. But I think what's great about the overture is again, it's like Tommy. It's kind of introducing you to the themes, the musical themes of the of the song or of the album i should say and um you know you get you kind of get introduced to jonathan which i will say uh i don't think this is the best story ever told (laughs) 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 but i think you know musically the the things that draw me to it are are the playing and i think i think blackie wrote some great hooks on this album and um so you, you, you kind of get introduced to that to the Titanic Overture, but um, all love for the Who, all love for uh, for the beginning of the this album. Yeah. So, so, so Eric, uh, where are you with the Who, and then go into what you think of this song? <laughs> um. So uh, for the Who, I definitely I, I like the Who, but I'm a little bit more of a casual fan. Um, there's a lot of albums I I, I not as big on but i haven't really listened to them enough 
But there's a lot of stuff I do like. I'm definitely more of actually a earlier Who fan. Uh, like the 70s stuff, I'm not really into. I'm more of actually into their 60s stuff, like the first album. I really love, um, because it's so weird, I like, uh, was it The Who for Sale? or oh, That's a great the- album. Sell out. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, makes sense because that's what it is. Yeah, because you, lo- you like so weird. You like the Beatles too, so that makes sense. Yeah, that you yeah. Like the early I, yeah. I'm not super into like uh, like the hippy dippy stuff, but I definitely I will say I like it a lot more than like McWatkins. So I'm kind of in between. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm in between with the the hippie stuff, but uh, yeah, that's where I stand on the Who and like kind of like 60s, early 70s stuff. But uh, yeah, so Titanic Overture. Oh, damn. Much like the Titanic, this shit's gonna hit an iceberg and go down really quickly. <laughs> this, Ed, when you said this, it, like, oh, it gets it, it gets the album started. This this <laughs> song gets the album started the same way, like, my dick gets started if I did, like, an all-night coke binge. This this <laughs> intro reminds me of this one night where I did a shit ton of blow, and I, I had this, like, sexy-ass, like, she was, like, half-black, half-white French girl in this hotel room and i'm trying to like do it and i'm trying to get my dick hard and it's not working because i just i overdid it and literally this poor woman had to sit through like i swear to god like 30 minutes of passionless fisting i swear to god she probably had i swear she probably had a bruised uterus after this and then like i came like two seconds but i felt good so you know what who cares but that's all that's, that matters that's the analogy for this fucking song I just does nothing for me. It's Blackie trying to be Pete Townsend. And like I said, right. I love The Who. I love Blackie Lawless. But sometimes just certain things don't work. Sometimes you mix two things that you like together and it doesn't work. Sometimes two sexy people have a baby and that baby is ugly as sin. Um, so And that's that's the case with this song. Not a fan of it. It's very pretentious. Uh, so yeah, not, not a good way to start the album in my opinion. So... Edwin, why don't you tell us what you think of the the first actual track, The Invisible Boy. Well, when I saw the title for the song, I thought, oh, this is going to be some pretentious shit. I'm not going to like this. I I assumed it would be like, uh, you know, just a boy. (laughs) Oh, God. They're both the second track. They both were boy. You know, I thought, oh, is this going to be, are there going to be some flutes on this? What's going on? And I I was surprised. This is probably the thing I was most pleasantly surprised about. And this is really where kind of the album begins in a lot of ways. And I was surprised just how rocking this song was and how catchy. And I got to say, I love this song. This is my favorite song on the album, at least after two listens. After just two, well, and I listened to the song like three or four times separately. Uh, So, yeah, I really love this song. I love the production. It has that kind of wall of sound that I was talking about. The guitar sound is really cool. Uh, Blackie's vocals are really good. It's really hooky. It's, it's The hooks are really strong. It's really catchy. It sounds like an extension from the prior album. And it was just more rocking and catchier than I was expecting The Invisible Boy to be. You know, I was expecting something really <laughs> overwrote and pretentious sounding. And to me, it just kind of kicked in. Like, this is where the album kicks in and it's rocking and also, Jimmy James did talk about the drumming. God damn, this uh, uh, Frankie Benali, is that how you call it? Is that his name? Anyway, he's yeah, uh, yeah amazing on it. Uh, very Keith Moonish, like you said, a little more controlled, but very Keith Moonish. And the rolling and sounds. And I think Blackie Lawless did a pretty good job with the production. It has a fat sound to it. And 
I think it's a powerful song, and even though it's like five minutes long, it doesn't really over, you know, stay its welcome. It's always rocking and catchy, and yeah, it's definitely my favorite song in the album. So, what do you think of it, McWalkins? Oh, God. <laughs> Eddie Canastrasi. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've been hearing the wrong, or like the different, or I think we've been hearing different <laughs> songs, dude. I think we've been hearing different songs. As I sit here and I sip the bottom of my fourth Coors Light, I got to talk about the Invisible Boy. <laughs> my, my notes say, uh, boring, wannabe, pompous, who shit. Yeah, do, you, do, do you think if it had a different title, if it was called like, you know, Fuck Your Cooch Sideways, you might like it better? I mean, maybe, but The Invisible Boy, <laughs> this boy should have stayed invisible because this song sucks balls, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> Devoid balls. of it. Dude, big, huge, veiny, hairy balls, dude. <laughs> it's devoid of any of the hooks or danger that made Wasp badass in the 80s. I will say a saving grace to this song is the fucking face melter, the labia melter guitar solo <laughs> that Bob Kulik does. Awesome yeah. solo. And the lyrics are just kind of, who am I? I'm the boy. Only the mirror sees. It's just, oh, get Blackie. Come on. We're screaming till you like it. Where's 9-5 Nasty, man? <laughs> Not for me, buddy. Not for me. I'm sorry, guys. That's yeah, stuff to apologize about. That's the thing. Right. It's about our opinion. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so what do you think, Jimmy James Swartz? Now I'm going to fall uh, kind of more on the Edwin side of things. Um, I do. Oh, man. I th- I th- we're seeing the, 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 the battle lines been drawn. <laughs> I think the lines have been drawn, yeah. Yeah. Our sides um, have been chosen. Not, okay. not quite my favorite song on the album, but it's close. Um, I think think the who am i i think there is a hook there like that that catches me i i find myself singing that after you know the whole who am i only the boy that the mirror sees and again the story not great you know i i think one of the things you know a a good story like you have a figure that you're kind of sympathetic towards i don't ever find myself being sympathetic towards jonathan even though he's like got this horrible story (laughs) 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 <laughs> there's not a lot that's drawn me to him, but again, the playing is phenomenal. Um, I agree with that. I agree. The, the, that hook is, is really good. And then again, you, you get the who reference. And this reminds me of Quadrophenia, the whole love reign over me at the very end yeah. where he's like, is there love to shelter me? Only love, love set me free. Like that whole thing is very reminiscent of that. So again, that, that kind of harkens back to, Blackie's love for who concept albums. Yeah. So, and what do you think, Eric Jordan? Uh, the Invisible Boy. This song's more frustrating than trying to get an erection after a fucking <laughs> coke binge. Oh my god, this is just pretentious as fuck. And I don't have much to say about this, so this is where I will make my comparison. Now, I want to say to anyone that does love the Crimson Idol, please don't use my comparing it to Streets of Rock Opera by Sabotage as like a excuse to not listen to that album this just my opinion if you like crimson out hey that's cool man i i mean this just my opinion but like you guys are saying with jonathan like i i i can't relate with jonathan now sabotage did a similar album where it's like a rock star with a fall from grace but 
I relate more to DT Jesus or Downtown Jesus, which that's the character in Streets. It just feels more real, whereas Jonathan is like, he, he's like everything that epitomizes like this whole emo victim culture of like, woe is me, feel sorry for me. Whereas DT Jesus is just real, man. Like, I relate to DT Jesus because he's a guy, he, he's not feeling sorry for himself. He knows he's a fuck-up, but he's trying. He tries to get back on. He's just a guy that's been dealt a bad card, and he's just trying to, like, trying to get a second chance in life. And that's where I like that character. He he accepts his flaws. He, he owns up to them. Whereas, man, Jonathan just sounds like a whiny bitch. And, you know, growing up, you know, there, there's the emo culture. All these shitty bands, like, falling in reverse and escape the fate and all these damn emo kids that... You know, that, that I went to school with that, like, you know, they live in nice houses, you know, lots of money and everything, yet they, they want to have, like, this, they, they want to make problems, they want to have a hard life, like, I don't know, I feel, you know, even too, there's, like, you know, kids that listen to all this gangster rap, and they, you know, talking about, like, oh, I'm hard, man, I'm a gangster, it's like, motherfucker, you, you live in, like, a bigger house than I do, and you have money coming out the ass, and your parents pay for everything, you do not have a hard life. So it just, I, I guess, too, like, I hate the story because I just, I, I see Jonathan Steele as one of those whiny kids that just, and even though Jonathan actually does have a hard life, I just hate the whole victim mentality that he has. I, I hate these people nowadays that just, they want to have a hard life. They want to make it appear like, oh, woe is me, my life is so hard, when they really don't. I guess that's another reason why I don't like this album. You know, do, do you think, uh, Eric, you could be projecting a little bit onto... Maybe! Uh, maybe! Maybe! <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, and the other thing maybe too just is, a tad. <laughs> the other thing, too, is Streets of Rock Opera, much like Operation Mindcrime, I love it because it's a great concept album, it tells a great story, but I can listen to those songs separately. Like, I can take each one of those songs and listen to it on its own, and it still sounds great even out of context, where... Is this album, like, even The Wall, which I know The Wall is loved by many, there's just songs that, like, there's good songs on the album, and then there's songs that if you take it out of the context of the album, it just doesn't work or doesn't feel really great as a standalone. So those are kind of my two gripes with The Crimson Idol, and I, I figured I'd talk about for The Invisible Boy, because I didn't have a lot of notes on that song, but not a fan of this song. So, Edwin, why don't you talk about the next track, Arena of Pleasure? Uh, this song, I really love this song uh, as well. This is actually a close second favorite song. I, I think this album's a little front-loaded. And, mm -hmm. I mean, once you get past the overture, you know, it kind of hits a lot of its uh, swagger. From what I hear, you know, it's very rockin'. This, it kind of continues off the same, that production that I really dig, the kind of wall sound. It's kind of sexy. It's like a sexy song. This is a song where you can kind of hear old Wasp but like in a more kind of sophisticated kind of way. But it, it's a very central song. I think it has a strong chorus. I like, you know, I like the vocals. And it's a, it's a hot song. I dig it. Uh, Arena of Pleasure. It's cool. And I, I like the time. It's over the top. But this is kind of, um, lyrically, I prefer this to, like, because even though I did love the first, uh, the second song, Invisible Boy, Boy I mean, I'm not really... I wasn't really crazy about the lyrics. I just love the sound of it, and I like Blackie singing, and I did think there was a hook in the chorus. But lyrically, it's kind of like pretentious wank-off stuff. But this song, I, I thought, had cool lyrics, and I thought it was sexy, and it sounded like a 
uh, an intelligent like evolution of the wasp sound. So that's what from hearing it just a couple times anyway. So that's what I think of Arena of Pleasure. What do you think of it, Mick Watkins? Okay, track number three, Arena of Pleasure. Finally, 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 this album fucking picks it up. Okay, badass opening riffage. Closest thing so far on this album. Closest thing to good old '80s Wasp. And I think a lot of this song kind of sounds like something that could have been off the previous album, The Headless Children. Yeah, it's got another face melter. It's got another great Libya melting or labia melting solo from Bobby Kulick. And, I see. Uh, it's uh, Doug Aldrich on this track. That's Doug Aldrich. Yeah, that. That's, okay. He plays. Uh, it's all Bob Kulick except this track. That's Doug Aldrich on guitar in this one. Know that. All right, you're schooling me. That's cool. All right. So great solo from Doug Aldridge, who is a monster fucking player. I met him one time. He's Amazing. A cool dude. Right. And lyrically, I think the lyrics are cool to this. Like lyrically, it's speaking to me. It kind of sounds like that Jonathan, you know. He's uh he's starting to, you know, he's like, fuck this life that I've been living. He's gonna like run away from home. He's gonna away or he's gonna run away from the orphanage. And, you know, he's gonna hit the streets, he's gonna become a rock star, and he's ready to get into some scandalous, sketchy shit, you know. So, so far, the best song on the album. I actually like the song. And if Wasp played it live, I would not rush to the merch booth or the bar to buy a $15 yeah. beer. Now, yeah. one thing I want to ask you guys. Tonight, I was listening to this album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, knowing the whole the storyline with Jonathan Still and stuff, do any of you all kind of find a parallel between Jonathan and uh, um, Kurt Cobain? A little bit. Okay, yeah, I th- I wasn't thinking. To be honest, I don't know too much about the storyline. Like, okay. and this is kind of funny because I I'm a writer, but I, I don't think about lyrics so much when I'm listening to music. Like, right, don't, I don't get, we probably don't yeah. want to think about lyrics because you are a writer when you listen to music. Maybe. Yeah, I mean that doesn't mean obviously there are certain lines, and you know you, you heard the last for those about the rock episode, like. You know, I was obviously paying attention to the lyrics on that album, but that's an album I've lived with for like 30 years. Almost. We turned it into a concept album. Dude, yeah. that, that <laughs> review was ingenious, gentlemen. And that that just made me love that album even more. I oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it way more, even more than yeah. I already did oh, now. <laughs> I, I mean, I like this album, but it ain't, it ain't nowhere near that album. And that's the thing. For those about to rock, I think it's a stronger concept album. And no one even calls it a concept, <laughs> and no one calls it a concept album. <laughs> I agree, dude. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it's – it's. Uh, but, yeah, this – like, John, you know, the whole idea – like I said, it's cliche by this point. We've already right, had the, right. the rock star-wise. Even the name, Jonathan. I mean, how many fucking rock and roll songs are about a guy named Johnny, you know? But why is it always Johnny or Jonathan, you know? But, uh, but yeah, it could be like Kirk Cobain. It's interesting because it's 92, which is like, you know, when Nevada was like at their peak. And, right, and, two years before his uh, death. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it got foreshadowed. I think it's the vibe. I mean, this is the thing, too. I was thinking about it because I was thinking on one hand, yeah, it's kind of hackneyed and cliche by this point to do like a rock opera about a rock star's rise and fall and all that shit. But at the same time, you know, it's like they, they say in writing, you know, write what you know. This is the thing. It's like he's a rock, he was a rock star, at least for a couple of years there. Right. And then maybe in Japan, uh, you know, he's a rock star. That's the, <laughs> that, that's the life he knows, you know. So that's that's naturally what he's going to write about. It's like these directors when they get to a point where they make that movie about directing a movie or whatever. Like he 
this is his life. It's what he knows. So I think to a degree, the one thing that whether you're Pete Townsend or, or um, you know, or Roger Waters or Blackie Lawless or Kirk Cobain, ultimately you kind of go through the same thing, like as being a rock star. You go through the the shady managers that don't really care about you. You go through the the groupies. You go through the drug addiction. You go, you know, and some live through it. And some don't, like Kirk Cobain, you know? Right. If Kirk Cobain had lived through it, three years later, he would have been writing some fucking concept album. <laughs> you know, that, 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 like, that, that's, that, that's the thing, you know? And it's like, uh, so like that's, Blackie Lawless lived through it, so he wrote a fucking concept album. That's just what these rock stars do at a certain point. If, Makes uh, sense. Yeah, so, and, uh, and the better songs don't need it so much you know like 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 said like this song would just be a good wasp song regardless but you know i i do agree that that these songs from what i've heard so far a lot of them don't really work outside the context of the album and but that's how i feel about most concept albums which is why i'm not a fan like even i like tommy but most of those tommy songs i can't really listen to outside of tommy you know it's yeah. just yeah, it's it's rare for a concept album to kind of be a collection of songs, unless it's for those about to rock we salute you. It's which is why it's better because those songs. It is the greatest concept album of all time. Because <laughs> you take any one of their songs and put it on your shuffle, it still works. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, they put overtures and fanfares and what have you. They ain't working on your shuffle. You know, you hear them. I got. I don't know if you guys are this OCD. But one thing I, I do with concept albums is I go into and I change the genre on specific tracks so that so that it doesn't fucking come up on like a, a metal or rock shuffle. Like if I'm listening to a metal rock shuffle, I don't want to hear some segue little fucking acoustic guitar story, te- <laughs> sto- Mr. Rogers storytelling like thing, you know, that, that's going to oh, break I- my group. So I, I didn't I do that before, that but now I will. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> you're right. It's a good idea. Yeah, I created a thing. I call it the uh, the, the spoken word dump. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if there's some segue where there's some dude just talking over a guitar, I will say this. Unfortunately for this album, it connects those songs into the song, which it would have been better if they made them their own tracks. I like it when they make things that suck yeah. their tracks. It's like I agree with that. One of the reasons why Black Sabbath's uh, Volume Four is one of the greatest albums of all time is because FX is its own track. So shuffle-wise, you can listen to Supernaut without hearing FX. Like that—that's ingenious. More it bands, is ingenious. More bands should do that, so we don't have to hear your fucking shitty transitional tracks. It's <laughs> kind of like how on, when when they first started producing CDs and you would get the live record and they would have the intro to the next song on the previous song. Oh, that I hate it. Dude, I hate that shit. Yeah. I want to hear Paul Stanley talking about dude. like, does anyone here like to drink tequila? And then if you're on shuffle, it goes to... Right. After the song before, that annoyed the shit out of me. Okay, so we're all OCD when it comes to that. Yeah, I don't want to fucking hear the stage prattler before the fucking song after another song. It sucks. <laughs> Ass. Yes. I, I'm going to talk, talk, talk about Arena of Pleasure, man, because, man... You're going to like this because it's sexy, right? It, this song fucking <laughs> rules, man. There you, you go. Know, this is like if you do the right amount of coke 
and you, you're horny, and you get you get a hard dick right away, and you pleasure that woman. You know, this song kicks ass. Doug Aldridge just tears it up on guitar. And this is more like it, man. Like, this is like th- this is like a totally different Jonathan, because a lot of this album, it's him being a whiny little, like, woe is me bitch, whereas this one's badass. It's him like, fuck it, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna fucking... I'm gonna be some like I'm gonna be somebody, you know. I'm gonna fucking kick, I'm gonna show everyone I'm gonna kick ass, and I, I like that lyrically. It's not this whiny shit. This song kicks ass. It's like a song you, you know, if you go through a breakup or just whatever you go through in life, and you put this on, you go lift some weights, or you you like punch a punching bag or something. This song gets me fired the fuck up, man. This should have been the opening track, and I. There's a lot of things about this album that I'm going to talk about where I feel it should have just been a standalone album, and there's certain things from certain songs that I felt would have worked better if you just got rid of the whole stupid concept thing, and if you did that, I feel this could have been a perfect opener if this was just a standalone album, and yeah. like I said, I, I love I love the lyrics, man, like, uh, you know, uh, a couple of the lyrics I like... Um, you know, when he's like, and, you know, and I was running from the nightmare. I stand at the promised land with fire in my eyes. That one rules. And I love, too, there's a part in the song where he's like, my obsession is the gasoline to feed my fire. And then he just goes like, oh, it's burning me. And it's just, oh, it sounds amazing. Like, I'll say this about Blackie Lost, man. Even, like, the songs I don't like, his voice is amazing. He just has a voice that no one else can duplicate. He's got so much, like, soul and just so much, like, rasp and anger. Like, no one can emulate that voice. And, you know, someone was saying, like, oh, someone made a comparison between him and Bruce Dickinson. Like, oh, Bruce is a better singer. It's like, man, fuck you. Bruce, yeah, he's technically better, but he oversings. Blackie has so much soul in his voice. And I feel that matters way more than technique. If I can feel every everything you're saying, even with songs I don't like, I can feel every bit of emotion and like soul in his voice. Just yeah, character. Oh my god, he is amazing and just this song rules. This one finally like this one got me going, man. I'm like after two pretentious sounding songs to just hear a straight up fucking fast and furious rocker with great lyrics. It was a uh, it was a breath of fresh air. And uh, Jimmy, what do you, what do you think of this song? Well, this one is my favorite track on the album. Um, well, and I yeah. feel like I feel like Mick was reading my notes because it, it was almost <laughs> on point for what I was going to say. But um, I feel like this, uh, out of all the songs on the album, this is the one I feel like could be on an early Wasp album. Yeah. It's a straightforward rocker. Um, this one, the, the drumming is, is more straightforward. Um, you don't get a lot of the, the heavy time work that that you get on some of the other songs mm-hmm. and um that hook the whole take me down i'm coming home that will be in my head for weeks because it's just so catchy just just phenomenal stuff so um yeah favorite track nice. cool. yeah i'm gonna take the next song just because i gotta go get another drink real quick um so i'm gonna I'm talk about chainsaw charlie real quick before i go head off and get another drink Chainsaw Charlie. Uh, first off, I fucking hate the damn intro. I hate the whole like <laughs> like you hear the dun, 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 the acoustic guitar like he's ripping off the fucking who again. You just hear carnivorous hyenas, horny hedgehogs. It's like what the fuck is this animal planet? <laughs> I'm waiting for fucking Steve Irwin to come in and be like, oh Crocky, 
We're going to rattlesnake right here and I'm going to flick in the testicles, you know? <laughs> like, God damn. It's so stupid. And I'm just like, I, mean, I think that's why a big reason why I didn't like this song for the longest time. Like I said, when my dad had that Best of Wasps CD, I think this is like the only song that represented this album, and I just I didn't like it for whatever reason. They have the, the the full version of it on that greatest. Album? I believe so, man. Because oh, I remember wow. that. I always remember that intro, and I, for me, it should just start with the chainsaw. Just start with that chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. like that's cool. Totally. Uh, but after that dumb intro, you get the chainsaw. That's when this song kicks in, and this song kicks ass. In my opinion. Best fucking song on the album. Probably the most wasp-like song on the album, besides Arena of Pleasure. Uh, a cool song about the dangers of the entertainment industry, but, you know, sometimes if you listen to it for the first time and may out uh, context of the album, you'd maybe think it's about, like, a crazy, like, you know, like, you think about, it's about Leatherface or something. Uh, it's just so fucking cool. Um, just amazing guitar work. I love the changes in it, you know. They, you know, it's changes that work. They don't sound out of place. It's just fast. It's driving. And I love the swearing. And I'm glad he fucking, when he played the song live, he did the dirty version. He re-recorded right. the sound later and he, like, cleaned it up, did, like, a Disney version of it. But, no, when he played it live, he said, you know, my name is Charlie. I'm a cocksucking asshole. That's what they call me. And I'm a lying motherfucker. And he, he also says the F word in it, too, which, man, yeah. Blackie Lost didn't give no fucks. He was like, fuck cancel culture. I will say the song the way it's meant to be. But man, this song fucking rules. The chainsaw in there. And fuck Jackal. This is like, this is how you use chainsaw in a metal song properly. This song kicks ass. I mean, I just, I can't, there's nothing else I can really use to describe it. It's just amazing. Go fucking listen to it. Edwin, what do you think of Chainsaw Charlie? Would I, will I go get another drink? All right, this song I got, I like it a lot. I think it's a good song. It's probably look at this, uh, maybe my fourth favorite song on the album. I have a couple issues with it. One of which Eric already cited. The not that I think the little acoustic bit in the beginning and his vocal word thing, which is obviously him ripping off Alice Cooper. It's very Alice Cooperish. So it's like he's doing an Alice Cooper vocal thing on top of a Pete Townsend acoustic guitar thing. Um, it's all right. It's like yeah, it's been done before, but I kind of wish it was a separate track and not, you know, like connected to Chainsaw Charlie. Uh, my second thing is just it's a superficial thing, but, you know, you probably heard me talk about this before, Mick. I don't like when songs have two titles. That just annoys yeah. me. It's, it's confusing, like, dude. Yeah, it what is. is it? It's just Chainsaw yeah. Charlie or Murders in the New Morgue. And then, exactly. What do you call it? Yeah. And then to make it more confusing, like when he sings the chorus, it just sounds like he's saying Murders in the Room Morgue. Uh, murders, murders in the room. Yeah, like, so, okay, that's the name of the fucking song. What's, what's this fucking song called? <laughs> so right. that bothers me. Fucking pick a title already, all right? <laughs> yeah, make up your fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right, right. And um, I think it's too long. That being said, I don't really have a problem with any of the parts. All the parts are great. In fact. I think this is an area where, if I mean, since it was a fucking concept album anyway, I feel like he should have cut this song in half, you know, with a chainsaw, and kind of made it part one and part two, especially because I feel like the second half could have used another rocker. Because the thing about this song is, it's like you're getting into it, it's catchy, it's another one of the more wasp-sounding kind of songs on it, and it's really catchy and awesome. 
But it kind of, after a while, by the end, it's just like, I, I don't know, it starts to get to be a little too much because it's just so long that I feel like at least hearing this a couple times, I would have split this up and make it kind of a reprise and brought the, the end part where it gets kind of into the chant type shit at the end and kind of put that towards the end after all the fucking ballots are towards the end and kind of break it up a little bit. I feel like that could have worked a little bit better. But overall, whether, I mean, even though it's a little bloated and there's a lot of shit going on in this seven-minute seven and 48-second long track, <laughs> uh, and and it has too many titles, that all aside, it's still a really great song. It's really rocking and catchy. And, yeah, like I said, it's probably, it's my... Uh, yeah, it's my fourth favorite song on the album so far. So, yeah, it's awesome. It's cool. So, what do you think, Mick Watkins? All right. So, yeah, last month when I went and saw Wasp in Nashville, yeah. Tennessee at the Ryman Auditorium. Gotta be honest, dude. When they went into the Crimson Idol portion of the show, that's when I checked out. And I looked at my wife. And I was like, come on, baby. Let's go to the merch booth. <laughs> When it only had 15 fucking people in line. So, you know, because I had seen the set list previous to going, I was like, you know what? Here comes the idol. Let's go get some more $15 beers, uh, $17 red stag and diet. Let's get you a vodka and cranberry. Let's go get a wasp t-shirt and a little button. You know, so we're in line. The idol comes on, bored the fuck out of me. The great misconceptions of me bored the fuck out of me. But, dude, I wanted to be back in my pew seat. When Chainsaw Charlie, Murders in the Room Morgue came on. Easily my fucking favorite song on the album. Obviously, the song's about horny hedgehogs and a cocksucking <laughs> asshole named Charlie. You know, dude, what could you not, you know, what else is there more to love than horny hedgehogs? I mean, it's amazing. I love I love the part when the song kicks off with the chainsaw, the and the riff comes in behind that. that I know, drums I think too, man. Dude, the drums, Frankie Benali killing it, and that riff, that riff, the drums, the chainsaw, that ticka 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 ticka. I just think that's so badass, dude. Cool fucking song. Another vintage sounding Wasp track that could have easily been on the Headless Children. Yeah. And dude, after listening to this, because this whole week leading up to this episode, I've been burning the shit out of this album in my car when I'm riding to work, when I'm going around doing errands, and dude, just every time, murders, murders in the room, oh, this chorus, easily the best chorus on the album, dude. It never fails to get stuck in my mind. And then when they switch to the part where he starts talking about the cocksucking asshole, and my name All is that. Charlie, I love the fucking riffing that's is playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's playing underneath Yes, that is killer, dude. Oh, my God. Best song on the album, in my opinion, Chainsaw Charlie, Murders in the Room, Morgue, and fucking all the other five song titles it has. Great <laughs> great song, dude. Awesome. What do you think, Jimmy James Schwartz? Again, I, I think this is a great one-two punch between Arena of Pleasure and Chainsaw Charlie. Um, there are two instances on this record where... Uh, if it came out today, Blackie Lawless would be canceled. This is the first <laughs> first moment because he drops uh, a derogatory term yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't he say the word? Yes. Is it the N word in this song too? Is it the no? That's, that's, that's in another one. That's, that's a later. Bit later. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But um, it, it has some some Prague esque elements, and that there's a lot of changes. And I'm probably the one person here who really kind of gets into a lot of progressive music um 
So I love that. And that just fires me up when, especially the way, because it starts off, you know, it has that slower build. But once it kicks in, it's strong and you don't think it could get any stronger. But after the guitar solo, it goes into like a double time and it just like kicks into another gear. And it's just so, it just rocks so hard. And I love that. And it just, it kind of kicks in your adrenaline and just builds up. But um, obviously Chainsaw Charlie is the slimy record executive who, you know, you know, he mentions his tool is the chainsaw and obviously taking advantage of the artist, which is kind of a theme we still see today, you know, yeah. with with things like Spotify. And I know, you know, Edwin's got some experience working, you know, with Hollywood and, and Mick, you know, putting out your own music that, you know, artists kind of get the raw end of the deal while people get rich. You know, these executives are are building their bank accounts on the backs of what other people are doing. And it's crazy kind of how you still see this going today. So it's, it's something that it's, it's a thread that you see throughout that, you know, the rich get rich and, you know, the artists kind of get stepped on a little bit. So, yeah, it's a, the creatives versus the suits, you know, that's yeah. a never ending battle. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so uh, very good, very neat. I'm going to take the next one. Uh, this is one that I, I have no idea what Eric and Mick... I know it won't oh. be one of their favorite songs. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I think it's safe to say if the word boys in the title, they're not going to like it. <laughs> just a boy, just a boy. I am just a boy. <laughs> beautiful, I hear Paul do that, try and do that song now. God you know, damn. I, I oh, God. If, if, if you put, um, you know how like there's like these like um, um, AI like programs now that'll like write things for you, or create names for you, <laughs> like give people like, oh, I want to have a gangster name, you know, like right. you put it into the thing. I feel like a program would create a rock opera, pro- <laughs> a concept album title, uh, a generic one that it would shoot out for you if you asked it would probably be the gypsy meets the boy (laughs) (laughs) that now that being said i i do like this song i think it's a nice melodic ballad it's again not so much the lyrical content the lyrical content's very pretentious uh concept album-ish but if you listen to the melodies and the mood of the music i like those like kind of dark melodic ballads it sounds like it could have been a ballot that's on one of the other wasp albums it would have had i feel like it would have different lyrics but uh it has that kind of dark it has like a dark uh sound to it even though it's a ballad so and i like the guitar playing on it and after i mean you just had a bunch of hard rock and songs so at this point in the album you don't mind a little break a little breather something a little softer another contrast so and i like the production i like the sound of the guitar so i I like the song i like the mood to the song it had a nice mood to it you know a little also like kind of like a dock and ballad so i dug the mood to it i like the vibe so that's why i uh i'm gonna take this one next because i like that you mentioned that like if it was uh, if the lyrics were different yeah because if you listen to like the deluxe edition of Headless Children, this was actually originally a song called For Whom the Bell Tolls, 
and it's a bone. It was a B side. Oh, is that you know? I love that song. I heard that. Yeah, song. they're <laughs> literally the same song, just different lyrics, and they're they're like slightly different. Wow. But it, I I had to take the song next because when you mentioned that, I'm like, oh, like Edwin's already kind of leading on to it. But yeah, yeah, that version's better. I like. That. I yeah, I, like I was that. gonna say in my notes, I had I like this song better when it was called "For Whom the Bell Tolls," and that's where another another thing where it's like this would have been a better album had they just ditched the concept part of it, kept the good songs, and t- kept the like parts of the songs that were already good. Because I think For Whom the Bell Tolls was such a dark, moody, kind of cool little, like, softer song. Whereas this one, because he's trying to fit it into that concept, he takes what was already a really great song, in my opinion, and modifies it, you know, to, to fit his concept. And what we get is, like, a... Uh, just like a softer, shittier version, in my opinion, because Gypsy Meets the Boy just kind of sucks. It just drags. It's like, uh, like I said, he took this really dark, moody kind of song, and he like almost like Disney-fied it. This is like some, this is like the Disney version of For Whom the Bell Tolls. It's like some Pinocchio or Cinderella shit, you know? It's <laughs> bippity boppity bullshit. That's what it is. Just <laughs> fucking horrible. So, J- uh, Jimmy James, why-, why don't you go ahead and talk about this song, because I have a feeling you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I do like it. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Surprise. Again, I mean, it's not as, it's, you know, I think up to this point, it's, it's the weakest one we've heard, but I think that he does a great job of keeping the tension there. And I'm not just talking about story-wise or lyrically, but musically, the tension. And I think when Blackie sings these these softer songs, I love his voice. It's just, it's so unique, kind of like what you talked about before, Eric. He, um, it's not what you would expect from him. And so it that makes my ears perk up a little bit. And I really like that, unlike some of the other ballads that we may encounter later on. Oh. Um, <laughs> little foreshadowing <laughs> but overall i think it's great and, and it, you know in the middle it kind of picks up you get the you know the toms and the the drums and some heavy parts coming in and then it falls back down i think it's really great dynamically where it's at and you know i i i like it but uh i'll i'll pass the mic over to uh, mr mcwatkins and you know <laughs> on the other side of the story. <laughs> all right, all right. The Gypsy Meets the Boy. Now, before we discuss this masterpiece, um, I'd like to ask everybody what they're currently drinking right now. <laughs> I am drinking a combination of Monster Energy drink and some okay. uh, peach Moscato. And this peach Moscato, I'm going to say, it smells like cocaine. Ooh. Like, literally, I like took a whiff of it. And it like, has almost like a, like a cocaine smell. And I was I like, like, whoa. That. It's like it <laughs> brings back m- memories of old days when I, you know, have a French girl in the hotel room and I'm struggling to get an erection. That's, uh, Mick, the cocaine you're snorting, does it smell like cocaine? Or- it, smells, <laughs> it smells a lot like cocaine. It, it does. Nice, <laughs> nice. As a matter of fact, hopefully, 
<laughs> Hopefully it smells a lot like Rockin' Pod in 2023. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right on. I- I'm drinking Miller Lite. <laughs> a bunch of Miller Lights. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, earlier, I was drinking... Miller Lite is like my Coors Light. <laughs> right, I get you, I get you. Uh, it's what I drink after I'm drinking something real. Uh, I was drinking Johnny Walker Black Label beforehand, but... Let's see. Yeah, but now, now, now it's just I'm just pounding the Miller lights. I'm gonna grab another one in a little yeah. bit too. Jimmy, yeah, what are you drinking? Yeah, what are you drink? Cheap Kentucky bourbon. Ooh, I like All that. Right. What? Awesome. What brand, Jimmy? Evan Williams. Evan Williams. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. god! As yeah. an old Kentucky boy, I have to say I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You know, <laughs> I love Kentucky. That's you know Dude. that's one of the best drives. You know, I'm from I'm from northern Indiana, so we would drive down to Nashville and oh, yeah. one of my favorite spots is when we cross the Indiana Kentucky Kentuckyana border and oh. and hit Louisville and at night over the bridge, over the Ohio River, seeing the lights. Gorgeous. And it is but, a beautiful spot, yeah it is. It, it is. really is. And even going through Kentucky, man, it's 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 beautiful, especially through the fall. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful state. I like the horses. I, li- I love the fact that you guys seem to have a lot of MGD. Dude, yeah. it, it, I love in abundance. In abundance. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, seriously, I'm, I'm considering relocating. After this, we get through this recession in the next couple of years. I'm going to sell my fucking condo, make a lot of money, and buy a farm in Kentucky and just... Just drink MGD until into my grave. <laughs> start a, hey, hey, start an OnlyFans and you'll make a ton of money. Oh, Honestly, that doesn't sound like a bad plan. Ed, when we no. could get, get into a lot of trouble, dude. We could get a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, see, the trick is, is you would just talk about the Crimson Idol. You would, that's the right. only thing that would be it would just be videos. <laughs> Talking about the It's that night at the, in the wood paddled bar where Mick Watkins and Eddie start talking about the Crimson Idol. <laughs> oh, man. We definitely got to record that shit. Yeah. Just Mick, Mick with his head down on the bar, gently sobbing as he right, reflects right. on. As I drink my um, $15 Kentucky Tavern. Fuck. Yeah, $15 no, is being them. generous. Never mind. Yeah, you and, you and Mick can listen to, to Crimson Idol by Wasp. It can be called. Wasp fans getting fucked by Blackie Lawless. There you go, yeah. <laughs> so wait, wait, what song it. are we on? Are we still on oh. the, the Gypsy Meets Frankenstein? Whatever yeah, we're on yes, the... Right, yeah, yeah, talk about that one. Hey, Schwartz, did you talk about it yet? Hey, Schwartz. Hey, Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Schwartz oh, talked about God. it. He actually God. passed the baton to me, to old Dick Twatkins. All oh, right. Yeah, Dick, uh, Dick Twatkins, why don't you talk about... Uh, Dr. Rockter, because uh, I, I feel like he's paid a visit to your fucking house with the amount of sniffles you've had throughout this episode. <laughs> hang on, let me get a good note. Hang on, let me get another bump real quick here. Clearly, this whole episode is like, yeah, I think this song is. <sighs> like, Jesus, can I talk? Dude, I so, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the most. I haven't felt. This cokey since I was in a stall in L.A., so this is great. Yeah. Oh shit! Well, I'm glad I could bring back those memories. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a nice vibe. You know, I'm bringing back some yeah. memories. Yeah. I think it's because this like this headset I'm wearing, like the <laughs> microphone is so close to my fucking nose, dude. Like it's closer to my nose than it is my mouth. Maybe I'm wearing it wrong. Hang on, I'll try to point it down. Uh, it, wait, 
Dr. Rockter? I actually want to take Dr. Rockter. Go, go, go for it. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. I didn't discuss the Gypsy Meets the Wolf. Oh, wait. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, yeah. it's a Gypsy Meets the Wolf Man. Tell us about All right, all right, all right, all right. The Gypsy Meets Dracula. Uh, it, my notes say total shit sandwich. More wannabe Pete Townsend crap. Doesn't do anything for me. I feel like, dude, the Gypsy Meets the Boy, all these slower songs. The Invisible Boy, The Gypsy Meets the Boy, The Priest Touched the Boy, <laughs> Titanic, oh, all of them start sounding the same, dude. I'm like, dude, we get it. You're a lost boy wants to be the Crimson Idol. We get it. Get the fuck out of here and let me hear some animal. Jeez. Yeah, you, know, it, you know, it's like uh, this is, Billy Corgan was like probably listening to this album like, ooh. I should like. I'm gonna fight this shit. I can make a career <laughs> off of this shit. I, I can do some heavy-handed shit with acoustic guitars and singing about boys. I can do that too. Right. You know. <laughs> um, okay, Doctor Rockter. I've been. This is the one I'm most excited to talk about. Even though <laughs> it's a relatively forgettable song in kind of Philip. <laughs> but but it rocks. You know, it's got again. I like the production. I like the sound of the guitars. It it rocks. You know. Uh, it, it's coming after a ballad, so you always kind of wonk them a rocker after a ballad. So it's not a bad song. Um, I have a thing against songs that put the word doctor and rock together. Generally, <laughs> I don't like rock and roll doctor. Um, oh, that song sucks. What about Motorhead? Now, this is the thing. Motorhead. I do like Dr. Rock, but it is my least favorite song on Orgasmatron. But... I still I do like it, but that's fucking Motorhead. Let me tell you something. Motorhead <laughs> has a song that I just like on one of my favorite albums. I love every other goddamn song on that album. And Doctor Rock, I just like. It's all right, you know. But so there's something about I don't know something about Doctor and Rock. I don't like it. And this is probably the worst of all the titles. This title's just fucking <laughs> retarded. Doctor <laughs> Rockter. <laughs> And, and it's not even O R it's E R. I don't like it. R O C K T E R. It's stupid. It's stupid as hell. All hell. <laughs> now that being said, um, it, it, I like the sound of the song. It's kind of rocking. You know, it's not too long, so you know it gets out of town. You know, under four minutes. So I don't mind it so much. But one, it's interesting though. It's like. I will say this. This is a, a big difference between 80s and 90s Wasp is. In the 80s, Blackie, he didn't need no doctor. He was like, I don't need right. a doctor. And now he, he needs a doctor. So he's been pussified a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to have a finger up my ass. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I immediately thought, I said, oh, yeah, now, now you need some medical assistance. But you didn't need that fucking in the 80s. You were too cool for school then. But, uh, but it's all right. It's an all right filler rocker song, despite its stupid title. What do you think? McWalkins about Dr. Rockter. <laughs> Dr. Rockter. Dude, cool song about a drug dealer. Badass fucking song. Well, badass for the Crimson Idol. If this was on any of the previous four albums, it probably wouldn't be as good. But, uh, dude, I love the lyrics to this fucking verse. Okay, it says, I'm the mirror from the wall. It's on the table, feeding me little white lies. And I'm wasted in a waste, man. I'm a junk man. I got tombstone in my eyes. Fuck yeah. That's <laughs> badass, dude. That is... that. That's like some fucking toilet bowl poetry, dude. 
That's almost like as cool as something Bond Scott could have came up with, dude. That's I love that fucking I love that fucking lyric. It's just I got tombstones in my eyes. That that fucking rules. Um, as I'm listening to this song, though, I can't help but think it almost kind of sounds like a rewrite of the real me. It almost yeah, kind of well. sounds like the same fucking song. But I mean, dude, it's a cool song, and uh, let me look at this. So far, it's my third favorite song on this uh, piece of shit album. So yeah, <laughs> there yeah. you go. <laughs> All right, Jimmy James, what do you think of Doctor Rockter? Again, I think strong hook. You know, help me please, oh doctor, help me please. Gets stuck in my head. So one, I find myself singing along to. Again, I could hear um, this on another on, on one of the earlier Wasp albums. So um, great hook in in Blackie's voice again is just phenomenal on this. After the solo, I think he hits the highest note I've ever heard Blackie go for, and so. Um, he's pushing himself vocally. Great hard rocker, and and unlike Edwin, you know, kind of using Doctor and Rock. Um, I, I understand where he's coming from. I am a fan of anytime somebody makes up a word that doesn't exist, like Rockter. You've sold me already, so I'm there. I'm there. It's 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 a win for me. The Doctor Akala. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, what do you think of Doctor Rockter Man Boy Child meets the? Oh no! <laughs> what, what, what do you think of this song, Eric? Uh, Doctor Rockter meets the Gypsy Boy Phantom of the Park. Um, oh no! <laughs> Star Child. <laughs> you know, I I used to really really love this song when I was in high school. Um. And especially too during my uh, you know my cocaine days, uh, you know I, I cut up some lines to this while playing this song, and you know you snort some blow to this song. It's okay, uh, you know, it, like Mick said, you know because it's on the Crimson Idol, it sounds better than what it should. But like had this been on any other album, it probably would have sucked. It's kind of cheesy, but it's it's fun and it's you know it's good because you know it's better than a lot of the other shit on this album. It really it uh, it sticks out like a sore thumb though, because this is like a this almost like something like off a of Inside the Electric Circus. I almost feel like this was them trying to write like their own version of I Don't Need No Doctor because it has like kind of that vibe, but just it's a little bit w- more watered down in my opinion. Um, but like I said, it's an okay song, not the greatest, and definitely sticks out like a sore thumb. Sore thumb, you know, it's just serious album but then you got like this party time kind of song with some more dark but like with dark lyrics but it's real sounds like a fun time party song so it, it's okay man i not the biggest fan of it liked it a lot more in the past but it's pretty decent so edwin what do you think of the next song i am one uh, i am one i you know i'm not like as you guys know, I'm not a big fan of the concept stuff. So the the like the crowd noise in the beginning and the, <laughs> and the chanting, I kind of wish that wasn't there. I wish it was just like the song. Um, but that that aside, I really love this song. I think this it's a little like Invisible Boy. So I imagine Mick and Eric aren't gonna like it too much. Uh, I think Jim, Jimmy will have my back on this one though. Uh, but I won, obviously again the Who worship. I mean the Who even had a song called "I'm One," 
and this is I am one. So he just changed the title slightly. But um, but although this song's different, that was a little more of an acoustic kind of uh, song, whereas this is a little more hard rock. And this actually sounds a lot also kind of like Dr. Rocker. This sounds like the real me as well a little bit, I think especially in the chorus. I like the sound. He has like kind of an organ keyboard that's always kind of buried in the mix a little bit, which creates the wall sound. Again, I like the sonics. I, I like the, I like the, all the, you know, the guitar sounds, the drums are cool. I like his vocals. I think, I like, I know Eric's going to hate this because he hates Thunderstruck, but I, I like the, the, the kind of, ah, like kind of, <laughs> effect in the background I, I just think it sounds cool it's kind of creating this cool wall sound and Blackie is kind of using his vocals like an instrument in the background so I, I like it I, I like the sonics of it and I think it's a really cool hooky song you know I would just have taken off some of that crowd ch- audience shit in the beginning but short of that uh, I dig it I think it's a cool song what do you think Mick Watkins God, <laughs> I need I need a fucking shot. I don't know if I need to take a piss or take a shot. Track number seven, I am one, dude. I mean, between I am one, the Gypsy meets Frankenstein slash the Werewolf slash Dracula slash the Phantom of the Park meets the Phantom of the Opera and the Invisible Boy, dude. All these kind of slower interlude songs kind of start sounding the same to me. It sounds kind of like a generic version of the previous interlude songs i guess from a storytelling point it's some kind of important part like you gotta have it in there but as a song i see it's kind of fucking pointless and stupid dude i i don't like it of all the songs on this album i thought this was the most useless weak uh you know fucking song on it dude i am one i don't like it guys (laughs) I feel like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. Give me sex drive, you know. Like <laughs> something, you know. <laughs> okay. okay, Jimmy James, what do you think of I Am One? Well, first off, I think they missed a big opportunity at the beginning to have a spinal tap moment. I heard, I did not hear a single Hello Cleveland in there, so <laughs> that's a bit disappointing. I feel like they could have thrown that in there and it would have would have been great um second lyric that would get blackie canceled in modern times so this is oh, where oh yes where he drops the n-word it's the will he take me down to the gallows and kill the boy inside the man i'm just a rock and roll yeah which he's he's taken from patty smith who yeah had, yeah who had already said that so i think it's a, a little allusion to that 100 percent, 100 but uh would still you know yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, either way. I, I'm surprised pa- it, Patty Smith wasn't canceled. Yeah. Right, right. This is the point. I, I do like the song. It's it's not as strong for me as some of the other tracks that we've heard already. And, and some of the Keith Moon stuff starts to get a little bit fatiguing for me. Um, but overall, I do like it. Um, we start to see the theme that that hit earlier with the uh, is there love to shelter me only love love can set me free he hits that again you know it's jonathan's longing to be loved um but you know good song not as strong as the rest all right so what do you think of i am one eric jordan uh, man, so <laughs> i'm listening I'm, I'm listening to this album again for the review 
and I hear the crowd noises, you know, because <laughs> I, I haven't heard this fucking album in a while. And then I hear him say, hello, New York City, and I'm just like, skip. I'm like, you're already starting <laughs> off on the wrong foot with me, Oh, uh, he Yeah, he, then they, they ate some New York pizza you didn't like. Oh, God, that fucking, uh, yeah, the piece of paper. I think they went to a Rangers game in there, it. too, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fuck that. So, yeah, it's like you're already starting off on the wrong foot. I am one. Yeah, I, more like I am fed up with this fucking album already. This shit sucks. <laughs> There's parts of it that I think are pretty good, but as a whole, it just misses the fucking mark with me. It's just stupid again. Like, is there a love to shelter me? It's just more whiny bullshit, you know, just more grow a fucking pair of balls, Jonathan. God fucking damn it. Like, just Jesus. Fucking homeboy has fucking daddy issues over here. Terrible song. I just can't get into it. There are parts of it I do like, like uh, Blackie's vocals, I will admit, are amazing. He does, like, this scream. And it's kind of during the part where he, where he drops the N-word. Yeah, I was thinking that... scream. Yeah, it's it's really like a powerful. Howl. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's like a howl, man. It's just it's so amazing. But it, like I said, man, even Blackie could do a shitty song and his vocals will still sound amazing on it. Uh, but the only other thing I'll say about this song is there's a live performance of it from Donington, and uh, Johnny Rod was the bass player. And man, Johnny Rod, that motherfucker, if like cocaine was a human being, <laughs> it would be Johnny fucking Rod. Because he, yeah. like, there's a part in, there's like, if you watch this Donington video where they're performing this song, so it gets to the slow part where, is there a love shelter me? And you see Johnny Rod, the side of the stage. There's this hot ass bitch in like the like stand on the shoulders of, like on the shoulders of like her boyfriend or whatever. And you see Johnny Rogers screaming at her like, "Show us your tits!" And he's like making the gesture like, "Take your top off!" Because this chick has some rocking tits, man. Like they're big. So it's like, yeah, I don't blame Johnny Rod. I'd be doing the same thing. And then it kicks into the heavy part. We're like, dun, 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 dun. and you see Johnny Rogers like run around on the stage and jumping up and down, swinging his bass. Like, this motherfucker just did, like, a massive line of blow before the heavy part kicked in. And he's doing some killer background vocals. You know, him and Randy Piper did some amazing background vocals with Blackie. They were, like, probably the two only two guys that could really match his vocal style where, like, he wouldn't need tracks. But that's uh, that that's that's my spiel on I Am One. Uh, Blackie... Uh, f- Fuck you for mentioning New York City first, man. Fuck, fuck the Rangers. Uh, Evan, what do you think of the Idol? Oh, wow. yeah, I'm waiting for you guys on this one. Okay, the <laughs> Idol. Um, now this is a song, another song like the Invisible Boy, where I was expecting to hate it because uh, I just I I noticed that it was a long song. I said, oh fuck, eight minutes and forty seconds, <laughs> and it's called the fucking Idol. It's like the title track, although. Like Eric, I do like title tracks that aren't entirely title tracks. Yeah, had that in its favor, but I was like, oh, this song's gonna be pretentious. I'm not gonna like it. But I know I found a song. Um, I found this song moving. I, I will. It's a dark ballad. It's a dark ballad. Um, I have issues. I, I gotta talk about the last three songs on the whole here because I just gotta say that I. Definitely think, especially listening to this album now two times, because I felt the same thing both times, so I guess it's science. Both times I felt like this album, it's definitely a little too ballot-heavy at the end, and I feel the sequencing's a little off. 
even in terms of it being a concept album. I, I kind of agree with Eric, and I, I think Mick would think this way too. I As much as I, even though I do like this album better than you guys, I do, I don't like it as much, I definitely don't like it as much as The Headless Children, and I don't like it as much, like I said, uh, the album afterwards, the uh, Still Not Black Enough, because I feel both those albums kind of are similar but without being concept albums it's kind of like they cut out all the wanky crap and they're kind of like just but yet they're still like personal songwriting and powerful songwriting but they cut some of the fat it's like he just focused on writing a good song instead of like it trying to i gotta write a good song but oh it's gotta fit the concept i feel that's where this album is kind of weak yeah, and I feel like this album would have been better if it wasn't a concept album. Because yeah. I do think the songs... I agree are with that. Yeah, yep. I think there's a lot of good melodies and hooks. And in a way, I feel like it's because it's a concept album, he kind of sequences it the way it is. And I, I feel like the it gets... like even like, even uh, And we'll talk about Hold On To My Heart when we get there. But I definitely don't think that should be like after the idol. Like, it's just... Yeah, no, it's just like... I think the sequencing is all kind of off towards the end, and it becomes a little bit of a drag. But in it, in and of itself, the idol I think is a good song. It's moody, it's dark, and even though it's long, uh, I I gotta tell you, this is where Bob Kulik really shines. I think he that's him doing the solos. Yeah, the only yeah. song that's not him is uh, Reno Pleasure. Yeah, he, his guitar soloing is really stellar on this song. It's one of the things that makes the song kind of elevates the song. It minds me a little bit. I think Jimmy will get this. I know it's not he's not your bag, Eric and Mick, but it reminds me a little of Neil Young, um, Cortez the Killer, it, where he does these really yeah. amazing. I think it's some of Neil Young's best guitar soloing ever, but it's kind of a similar song in a way because it's they're both like these dark kind of dirge like ballads, but with really epic guitar soloing, you know? And the Idol's kind of a song like that, and I think maybe I would feel differently if it wasn't for Bob Kulik's solos, but I think the solos are outstanding, and I think it's a very kind of dark and rich song with a lot of soul to it. So I And I was, like, prepared to really hate this song, and both, <laughs> and both times I thought, yeah, no, this is this, this song kind of brings it. I, I, I dig it. I dig it, you know? So it worked for me. What do you think, Mick Watkins? All right, The Idol, track number eight, uh, the <laughs> spoken word intro. As I'm listening to it, dude, it totally brings back uh, – Brings back me to the times whenever I would trip out on fucking uh, Dramamine and listen to Pink Floyd The Wall, dude. Like, totally reminiscent of Pink Floyd The Wall. Yeah. And at first the song is kind of dragging ass a little bit. But dude, once it kicks in with the kiss away the pain and leave me lonely. From that point on, I think this song is pretty killer. I dig it, dude. Nice. I dig it. And, uh... Like you said, Eddie Canastrasi, uh, the <laughs> Italian stallion. Dude, I love Bobby Kulik's guitar solo. Cool, emotional guitar lead. He does some cool fucking whammy bar tricks, dude. Does some cool dive bombs in it. Does all kinds of good stuff. So all in all, the idol, whenever I seen them in Nashville last month, for some reason, hearing it live, I did not appreciate it then. But this week... Studying this album for this episode, I've grown to really kind of somewhat like this song. <laughs> nice. You know, so nice. as yeah. much as wow. I can, you know, as much yeah. as I can, yeah. Mostly just that, that fucking uh, 
kiss away the pain and leave me lonely. That part is just—it's very hooky, man. Cool tune. Awesome. What do you think, Jimmy James? I gotta echo a lot of what you guys said. Um, Kulik is just off the charts on this. His soloing is so good. It, it really the high point of the song for me too. It's um, it's almost like he's telling the story better than Blackie tells the story yeah. with his lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and 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 again the same part, you know, um, that that builds up and it, it takes a little bit to get there, but once it kicks in, it's it's you know Chef's kiss. It's it's good. Nice, nice. What do you think, Eric Jordan? Are you going to be the only man out here, or are you going to brace this on? So here's, uh, so let me give the history. All right. Oh, so uh, when uh, I uh, first heard this song, you know, when I first heard this album, I went through my breakup, man. I was just real, like, and going through all this shit in my life, this song, you know, had originally, like, it spoke to me, and I, you know, I really connected with this song. As I got older, this is one of the songs off the Crimson Idol. I just fucking, I couldn't stand I thought, this song sucks, this song blows. But then I went to see him live. And, you know, this is the first song they did when they did those three Crimson Idol songs. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm still going to stand up, still going to, you know, be a good sport about it. But this is going to be my chance to, like, catch my breath. And he played it, and I was like, Wow. Like, this isn't... I thought, too, maybe it's just because I'm, like... You know, maybe it's just the show. Maybe I'm, like, you know, just riding that high. Because until then, it was just, like, everything kicked ass. But, uh, too, they were showing footage, because they had the video screens, and they are showing footage from this unreleased uh, Crimson Idol movie. And I see the footage they're playing when they start this song with the soft, like, intro. And it's, like, Jonathan Steele, and he's, like, passed out cold. And they're, like, giving him all these drugs to try and just get him up and get him, you know, try and, like, revive him so he can, like, do a show or whatever. Like, managers, like, get him, just get this man on stage, you know. And it just, like, the song was so powerful. And so, you know, I knew we were going to be doing this review. So I listened to the album, like, I wonder if I'm still going to feel the same way about this song, hearing it just, like, you know, during the album. And I heard it, and at the same time, I was, like when I was listening to the album, I had the Elvis movie playing in the background because we were getting ready to do our Elvis episode. So I was watching the new Elvis movie, and I was at that scene where Elvis, you know, it's like the Vegas years, and he is all drugged up. He is like in bad shape, and it's the scene where he just passes out on his way to the stage, and he's like, "Damn, you're dead!" And you get like freaking uh, the Colonel, like, "I don't care what the fuck you have to do." You get that man on stage, and that's all that fucking matters. And you just see like them injecting him with all these fucking drugs, just trying to get him up so he can do the show. And that's when it was like, holy shit, this song is just—it's beautiful, and it's just so heart wrenching. Because when I saw the Elvis footage and I heard this song and the lyrics, I thought about Elvis because I'm a huge Elvis fan. It's like this is like a man who went to the top. This is a man who, like, got to the top. He thought, I'm going to be the biggest rock star ever. And, like, people will finally love me and appreciate me. And I, I kind of looked at it through the eyes. Instead of, instead of seeing this, this song about Jonathan, I saw it through the eyes of, like, if this is about Elvis. A man that was all, like, the king of the mountain. The king of rock and, king of fucking rock and roll at the top of the world. And yet, he has all these leeches around him. He had, you know... 
Priscilla's left him because he's just so hooked up on drugs and you got people using him and feeding him drugs and not caring about him as a person, caring about his health. They just want him on stage so they can make money for him and he's basically slowly dying. And man, that song, once once I put it in that kind of context, the song just like hit me so fucking hard. And this is like one of my favorite tracks on the album now. It's so heart-wrenching and just this is the one time where i think the is there a love to shelter me like that whole spiel that he does throughout the album this is where it works i feel every like emotion like all the pain all the heartbreak in this song and again too bruce kulik like you guys said his or bob kulik his solo has so much feeling in it and so much soul in it and doug blair did a really good job that was kind of where they let him have his like solo during the show Mm -hmm. And he did an amazing fucking job. It was just, I, I I love this song, man. It's so beautiful. And it's just so heart wrenching. And it, like I said, I loved it at first. And I kind of thought, eh, it's just a whiny rock star. Like, oh, like you know, woe is me. But when I saw it through a different light, I put the lyrics and the story to a different person, like a real, actual artist that suffered. It just opened my eyes to how beautiful this song is and I, I i absolutely love it so I'm, I'm with all three of you guys i love this fucking song right on wow three about the idol man eric that was a beautiful testament dude yeah like i said man just watch i love it if someone did like a like a fan video like if dr fuck if you're listening to this episode do a video of the <laughs> idol with footage from the elvis movie like, dude, because yeah, that man can make some great, like, custom fan videos. I would love to see that because, man, this lyrically, if you listen to this song and then you watch that Elvis movie, it, it, it mixes so well together. I could totally see that. It'd be great. I yeah. could see that easily. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I think that's the first song we've all agreed on, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, awesome. well, <laughs> no, no, we, we, we all liked uh, Arena of Pleasure. Yeah. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. Who's not going to like that song? You'd yeah, have right, to hate metal right. that. Yeah, and we all like Chainsaw Charlie, even though I had a couple issues with it. I still liked it. Uh, so, right, right. Uh, so, so, so three songs so far. Not three so songs, yeah. Three songs into eight songs, yeah. It's pretty good. Actually, I maybe four songs because I feel like we might all dislike one song. I don't know. We'll see. This <laughs> might be the one place where I'm harder than Jimmy on something. Um, um, actually, I'll, I'm gonna say, but it's not this song, which we're gonna. I'm just gonna jump right into next. I have an issue with it, but not the song itself. Um, Hold on to my heart. I think is a pretty ballad. That <laughs> it's a nice, yeah. pretty song. It, it, it's got a nice melody. I actually think if uh, they had released this like two years prior with a nice video, this could have been a hit on MTV. Actually, during that period in the late '80s, where everyone had a hit ballad, uh, this it's you know it's it's a it has a nice melody. I like the production. It shows that Blackie could write like a hit power ballad if he wanted to. And I like the chorus. I think the chorus is uh, catchy, the way he repeats heart, my heart. I like that. I like his vocals. I like the contrast. If it's like like uh, Jimmy was saying earlier, where it's like kind of harder, more intense singing, but with the acoustics. It's, it's a good ballad. I wouldn't say great. It's not amazing, but it's a good ballad. I like it. My big problem is, fuck it, should not follow the fucking The Idol. 
<laughs> it's like yes. after yeah. the idol. Oh, yes. It's just, it's very lightweight, and it just yeah. brings attention to how lightweight it is after the idol. It's just like this song, you know, should have been up earlier somewhere. I don't know, maybe after Chainsaw Charlie or between Doctor Rocker and I Am One. I don't know where, but it definitely shouldn't have been the second to last song and after the idol. Like actually, the idol sounds like it should have been the last song or second to last song. Like because it, it's so, yeah. that's such a powerful emotional song that yeah, you just don't want to go. And maybe I guess he saw it as ooh, here's like a ray of light after the darkness. But I don't know. I just I feel like the ray of the ray of light sounds considerably weaker. Than, than the darkness, <laughs> so it's just it's a little anticlimactic. But it's in and of itself, I think it's a very well written, uh, pretty ballad. <laughs> so that's what I think of the song. So what do you think, Mick Watkins, of "Hold On to My Heart"? Dude, I've got to mirror a lot of what you said, Eddie Canastrosi. It's a good fucking song, man. It's a good song. Um, listening to it as I was listening to this for the uh, review. You know, there's nothing special about it. It's just a good tune. It's just kind of a typical power ballad of the late 80s, early 90s, you know? And like you said, Eddie, um, if this would have been released in maybe 1990, 89, I I think this song could have been a huge hit. Yep. I mean, I really do. I think this song could have been a huge fucking hit, you know? And, uh, And as I'm listening to it earlier, right before the episode started... Dude, for some reason, I could hear Cheap Trick doing this on like, uh, oh, what's the fucking albums they did in the late '80s or Lap of Luxury, Lap yeah. of Luxury, and uh, Busted. Yeah, yeah, the, the supermarket albums. Yeah, the super. That, that's what I said. <laughs> in review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. As you said, they're buying your pop tarts at fucking. Bro, <laughs> you know, and, this and is, you're, your you're... chicken. This is What's totally that? a supermarket cheap trick ballot. You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> when you're with all of the hot fucking white um, soccer moms at Target, this should be playing in the background. To my heart, to my heart. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. It could totally yeah. have been a hit. He just missed it. He just missed it. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> but he, he just missed it by like two years. Like, oh, you right. just off. You could have had like your biggest hit. <laughs> this easily, I think, could have been. You know what I mean? Because not saying that Wasp was in a rut in 89 with the Headless Children, because they weren't. It was a great album, as I think we all agree. But it didn't have, I mean, Forever Free, I think, is a better song. Oh, Forever Free is much better, but it's not as commercial. as. It's not as commercial. It's not as easy listening to the ears. If Hold On To My Heart would have been on Forever Free, Wasp might have reached the Dr. Feelgood pinnacle of Wasp. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of commercial success, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely would be better. Yeah, it's weird. But it, what do you uh, think about its placement on the album? Um, I mean, really, um, within the storyline, it story like lyrically and storyline wise, I don't really see how this fits in with the story too much. I'll you, I mean, that. admittingly, I didn't really read into it much. But just, I mean, I don't really think it fits in too much with the woe was me, uh, you know, I hit my life as a rock star story. I mean, I guess it's in a good spot. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, fuck it. Who cares at this point? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jimmy James, what do you think of Hold On To My Heart? 
Man, this is where things come to a screeching halt for me. Um, the, the wheels fall off the wagon for me. And um, do, you, do you ever, have you ever like watched a, a television series or like binged something and you're really into it for like the first three or four seasons? And then that fifth season comes around and you just, you're not interested, but you keep watching it because you have some investment in the characters and a little bit in the story, but it's all changed so much that you just are just make it end just get over with it and so oh, yeah. uh my my basic review of this was uh five words sweet jesus make it stop oh i, I have a feeling we're all gonna agree about the next track okay <laughs> <laughs> and here's my thing and, and i think you're spot on with the placement of it um it's a really tough placement and from there it's really hard for me to recover from it I yeah, think if, really, like if you guys, if you guys, like you said, if it was on earlier in the record, it would probably be one thing, like kind of the last song on side one, or you know that kind of thing. But second to the last song, man, that's tough to. That's yeah. not finishing strong, and right. and and I think that's that's really my my big issue with it. And and butt it up next to the one, it's it's a tough one for me. Yeah, I maybe. Mean, I, I, Maybe it should have been the first track on this album. You can't start an album off with like uh, a ballad. No, it could have been. It doesn't work. I kind of like the good or good song, good ballad or a bad ballad. You just can't start an album off with like a slow ballad like that. I, I no, I agree. You could have put it either after Chainsaw Charlie or Doctor Rockter as a kind of contrast. You know, I it just yeah. I, I I feel like the idol should be the last song. I feel like it's yeah. a, like like heaven and hell. If lonely is the word, you know, it's kind of like it's a dark, long, epic bout with a fucking epic guitar solo. Like, you know, you really kind of just want the album to end after that. That's the and that's <laughs> and then you really want it to end <laughs> after the next track. But. <laughs> But yeah, I, I feel like. But hold on to my heart's a nice song. But then again, maybe I don't know. Maybe it just should have been like a standalone lone single for like a for like I don't know, like a, a romantic comedy of like Drew Barrymore or something in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Renata Ryder, early nineties, I guess. Yeah. There Drew, you go. Yeah, there Drew's more late nineties. You know, maybe to Bridget Fonda. I don't know. It's just so, so, someone from the early '90s. Uh, yeah, I just—it doesn't really fit the album, but no, no it doesn't. It really doesn't. It, yeah, but it, it's a little also like the the Black Sabbath, that that ballad that's on the the Tear album. You know, but but it's nice. But I like that song too. That's a pretty song. So, what do you think? Although that song's sexier, I actually like that song better. What do you think of "Lonely uh, Is My Heart"? That's I'm holding on to you until the gypsy comes. <laughs> It tells me to play someplace else. <laughs> what do you think so, of this song? So, so before I give my opinion on it, I, I will explain to Mick and everyone uh, how it, why they put it after the idol, like where where it is in the story. Uh, so basically, yeah, well, the they, idols like him, like he calls his parents because he's like he's at at this point he's a big rock star now. He's reached the pinnacle, course. and he calls his parents, and that's where they're like, we don't have a son, you know. You know, we didn't have a son named Jonathan, and like, and that's where he like just feels like the whole point is he wants to be a star because he just he just wants to be accepted by his parents, 
And so at that point, he's like, I've done everything I can. That's where, like, he just gives up. He's like, I I, I did all this because I just want the love of my parents, and it's never going to happen. That's where he just loses all hope. And so Hold On To My Heart is basically, and I heard Blackie say this in an interview, so that's why I know where it is. It's basically him, like, his last response to the audience. Like, it's him saying to the audience and his fans, like, please don't forget about me because he's already decided he's going to kill himself which is the next song he's gonna commit suicide and this is him telling the audience like hold up like hold on to my heart like just hold on to my memory always remember me you know and that's so that's where it fits in that's why they put it here so now let me give my opinion hold on to my heart they should call the song hold on to these fucking nuts because this song (laughs) fucking sucks this is a wimpy this is some silent lucidity fucking bullshit here (laughs) This song oh, is whoa, whoa. It, it's not that bad, dude. Come on. Well, it, I don't think anything would be as bad as Silent Lucidity, but it's pretty damn close. This is like, e- dude, even when I loved The Crimson Idol, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, this is a genius. Even I was, like, smart enough to know, like, except that song. That song sucks. Like, that's, that's some pussy-ass shit. That's vagina rock right there. That's horrible. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the, like, hold on to my heart. Like, oh, it's just so stupid. It's like, come on, man. You wrote Sleeping in the Fire. You yeah. wrote so many badass tunes. You're writing this with this some without you bullshit. This does sound like it could be on fucking Dr. Fucking Feel Good. Yeah. It's so stupid. It's so wimpy. And just after like a really good, like, dark, like, heart wrenching fucking ballad, like the idol, you just go into this shit. This sounds like some fucking danger, danger bullshit. It's so fucking bad. I just don't like it, and just it does nothing for me. Like, like I said, even when I loved this album, I thought it was really good. Even I knew, like, this song is horrible. It's a dud skip. So now we're at the final track. This is Jonathan. His whole <laughs> world's crumbling down. He is going to commit suicide, and so Blackie writes an eight. Well, it was like eight not, fucking no, minutes. Song. Nine minutes and forty. Nine seconds. fucking minutes. <laughs> is that Edwin. all it is? Nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Edwin. Eight, eight minutes too long. And, and, it, right. and it feels like nine hundred minutes. Oh right. shit! It was like nine uh, hours. Oh fuck. Okay, the great misconceptions of me. Okay, I've been alluding to this now for a while. Okay. Um, this is the thing. When you listen to, uh, and I've only listened to this. Two times. I have a feeling I might never listen to it again. <laughs> I feel like I this is gonna. It's kind of like what I was saying about um, even like an album I love, like the Alice Cooper album uh, from the inside. I always kind of shut down, especially at the end when it gets very Broadway. Like when, when these concept albums, I don't know. I always feel like the worst of the concept albums usually in the very beginning and the very end. <laughs> like that's where they really do the gets the most concept. Concepty, anyway, the walls like that too, and I don't even like that album, as you know. And then at the end, it does a whole like, "Oh, I'm the fascist dictator taking over" song, and oh, I hate that shit. Anyway, so it's just like it's just it's very pretentious. It just goes on and on and on. And the thing is, like, if you listen to it individually, like the parts, it still has the cool production, cool musicianship. Blackie's singing great. It's kind of doing everything that all the songs have been doing before. Jimmy James talked about this earlier, where he said that the Keith Moon drums on um, I Am One start to wear a little thin for him. 
it, they didn't for me yet at that point. But they definitely do by now. By this point, I'm getting sick of the whole fucking Keith Moon drum rolling thing by this point. And it's just like, you're, it's not doing anything that all the other songs haven't already done already. That's the thing. We've already heard the long epics. We've already heard acoustic going hard. We already heard the, the Keith Moon drum rolls. We already heard the, the kind of organ keyboard sound in the background. Like, we've already kind of heard every trick that this song does already a lot. So by this point, you're just like, okay, you're just repeating yourself now. And it's, you know, maybe lyrically it's finishing the story, but it's not, you know, I would say that a good example, even though it's, you know, my least favorite Beatles album, to give Sgt. Pepper uh, its credit, um, is Sgt. Pepper ends with A Day in the Life. A Day in the Life, it's like introducing something new at the end. You know, it's kind of a different sounding song sonically. It's introducing a new mood. And I feel like the best concept albums, even just like for those about to rock, we salute you, like with Spellbound or like Night Prowler at the end of High Highway to Hell. Like when an album, to me, if you really want to have a great ending, the ending needs to introduce something kind of new, you know, something different, another side. And to me, the great misconceptions of me does not introduce one thing new to this album that we haven't already heard. And that's the biggest problem I have with it. And on top of it, it's fucking 10 minutes long. So it's like 10 minutes long of shit that we've been hearing for this whole album. So even though I don't think separately there's anything really wrong with any of the parts or anything, I'm just, after just listening to this album two times in my life, I was like, done with the song like i don't need to hear this ever again <laughs> so, I, I, feel, I feel like it's gonna end with me on uh hold on to my heart as like kind of a uh a offbeat coda to this really for the most part album that i really liked a lot but yeah i don't think i'm gonna listen to this song ever fucking again and isn't this the song you say that he, he plays this live he played this yeah. one live, oh man. Oh my god, what the play on this album? Why this and, fucking And yet he played it in its entirety, too. He played he did. half of On Your Knees, Torture Never Stops, but he plays this whole fucking piece Dude, of Dude, exactly. You're going to deprive us. Right, you're going to deprive us of the greatness that is the Torture Never Stops. But play this piece of shit all the way through. Blackie. Please tell oh, me you're God. listening to this. Blackie. Oh, my what God. The fuck, dude. But perfect Did he segue. Play Arena of Pleasure? <laughs> oh. oh, God. So he placed the longest, worst song on the album. All right. So, Mick, what do you think of this song? We already know kind of what you think, but oh. go more into detail. <laughs> All right, go more into detail. Okay. It's, uh, dude, this fucking song sucks. Dude, I mean, how many times, listen to this album. How many times do we have to hear the refrain of I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I'm like, come, we get it, we get it, Blackie. You sometimes you want to be the Crimson Idol and sometimes you don't want to be the Crimson Idol. Make up your fucking mind. Right. You're like a woman at a goddamn fast food drive-through. What do you want to eat? <laughs> what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? I'm like, come on, Blackie. You're better than this, dude. Come on. Fuck me, dude. Without any lube, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So it's like. 
this song it just kind of reminds me of uh, it's like I mean I get you got overtures and you got undertures <laughs> and from my experiences with music undertures are kind of where you take the whole thematic scheme of the album or the music and you kind of compile them or compile yeah. them yeah you shall I say yeah. yeah and it kind of sounds like this it's wrapping up this grand fucking concept this grand idea that fucking blows, dude. Dude, I was seriously <laughs> offended in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> we, we can't even, dude, because remember when this tour first started, Eric? They were doing a medley of the Hellion and I Don't Need No Doctor. Yeah, and I was pissed that they dropped that. And then they were doing Crazy and Heaven's Hung in Black, which is yeah. on your favorite and album, Hung- Dominator. And Heaven's Hunting Black has grown on me, because that was the only song I didn't like off Dominator, but now it's grown on me. I love it now. Right. It's a cool fucking tune, and they, yeah. dropped, they dropped those four fucking songs for this piece of shit. Yeah, and it pissed me off. It's like, oh. I, why can't you play Hellion and I Don't Need No Doctor, and I gotta sit through this fucking shit? Dude, same. And when this fucking crap came on, I looked at my, my old lady, and I was like, babe, let's go get us some $15 beers. And, you know, come on. And get us some I need a fifteen dollar beer to get through this shit, dude. You do, you do, and it's just the only saving grace of this song is that Jonathan kills himself. And <laughs> <laughs> good riddance. And I do like the ending lyrics, or not really ending lyrics, because it goes on for another five minutes. But I do like the lyrics where he says, "With these six strings, I make my noose to take my life. It's time to choose." The headlines read, my suicide, my suicide. The thought of a dude killing himself with a noose made of guitar strings is awesome. Pretty Pretty fucking, pretty pretty rock and roll and heavy metal and creative, dude. That's, yeah, that's the only saving grace is that he kills himself with guitar strings. That's it, I guess. Yeah, but he could have done it with a different sounding, cooler, shorter song. Yeah, like he could (laughs) have rewrote The Torture Never Stops. Yeah, something bad. Like go out in a blaze of fucking glory, not in a fucking whimper, dude. And, and he he ends his life with a whimper. Yeah, this, it, it, this song could have been written by the Cure or something. Yeah. Oh god, and, and, the Cure would have wrote something. Celine Dion could have wrote something more fucking metal than this shit. Right. And no offense to the Cure, the Cure is awesome, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's yeah. called the Great Misconceptions of Me. What a stupid ass <laughs> title! God it should damn. be called the Great Misconceptions of a Good Album. Yeah, uh, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and take this real quick. Yeah. I already started chiming in. Yeah, but I'm just gonna keep it short. So this song fucking sucks. There's good things in it, but it should just been trimmed down. It's like they took a a decent three minute song and stretched it out like ten fucking minutes which is what Iron Maiden is guilty of doing nowadays they take like they take like four minute songs and stretch them out for like fucking ten or eighteen fucking minutes that's not progressive that's just yeah Jesus fucking Christ this song sucks this is like the worst part of like the Wasp show it's terrible I fucking hate it you know, this shit, I, I'm happy that, like, when I hear the song and it finally ends, I'm happy. It's like, you know, <laughs> fuck this shit. This isn't like, you know, like, again, Streets of Rock Opera. When I hear the last song on that album, Believe, that shit brings me to tears. That song is so beautiful and so heartfelt. And it doesn't take ten fucking minutes, and it's more epic and says a hell of a lot more than that, than Great Misconception of Me. So 
Sometimes you can say a lot more in four or five minutes than you can in ten fucking minutes. Listen to Believe, like listen to Streets of Rock Opera, and like go all the way to the last track, Believe, and you will feel something. The only thing this thing makes me feel is a lot of hatred towards Blackie Lost Rank, such a shitty fucking album. This feels like a bowel movement, like a bad one. Like when you're in the middle of the car and you just have to go and there's nowhere to stop. That's what it makes me feel. J- Schwartz, <laughs> what do you think of this song? What do you think, Schwartz? What can I, what, what can I add to that? That's, that's, no, um, you know, I think I think the, the, the cool thing, you know, Mick said that, you know, he was, you know, they went and got some drinks uh, when that started. The, the cool thing is you could have driven back to Louisville and hit back to Nashville <laughs> and almost missed the entire song. Dude, you're right. Two and a half hours. Yeah, you could have made the trip. It, yeah. feel, it felt like two and a half fucking hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. It felt longer it, than the time I was trying to get an erection when I was like, you know, when I did too much blow. Yeah, it's Steve, Steve Harris listens to it, though, and goes, that's a snappy little tune. Right. <laughs> I think I could do better than that, Mike. I think I could do better. <laughs> um, but, you know, in listening to it sequencing-wise, I still haven't recovered from the previous song. Um, <laughs> it's tough for me to get into in story-wise. I just think it's I think it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it. My understanding is, is he commits suicide in front of the entire crowd. Who's going to watch him take off his strings, make a noose? Right. Well, like, I don't know. after this song, they might be like, "Yeah, go, go ahead, Jonathan." <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Don't let us stop him. All the state answers. Put the gun, down. Put the gun down. Don't. I think he's going to take care of this himself. <laughs> Jesus. So, so that's really the thing, is he kills himself in front of the audience? That's what I've... what I, My understanding of it. Wow. But, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's... We can only be does. so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just... Bad ending to the story and, and the song. Yeah. Just... It's, it's, it's pretty weak. Um, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, I can't... I can't really add much to what you guys said, but it's... Yeah, maybe what Eric said, if there was just, like, three minutes of it, and they called it something cooler, like, I don't know, like, guitar string noose or something, and it was, yeah, and it was, like, after the idol. That's what Alice Cooper would have done. Yeah, and it was... See, I think it should have went from the idol into a shorter, better version of The Great Misconception of Me with a different fucking title. Yeah, yeah, that could. It's too much words in there. God damn yeah, it! Yeah. Too many too syllables. Much. I don't like a lot of syllables. <laughs> it ain't rock and roll. Fuck but. syllables. Swan song. Jonathan's farewell. Uh, yeah, something like Bye, that. Jonathan. That's all sorry. I need. Is down payment blues. Boo! Sorry that you were a rock star and people liked you and you people fucked you and you did drugs and, yes. and that's what's that's <laughs> fucking offensive to me here I am busting my ass with Wild Ride trying to fucking make this shit happen and this yep. motherfucker's got it all and cries about it yeah, yeah hey, listen to fucking Streets of Rock Opera Believe it's a song about I can do it I got a second chance in life I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna 
put my demons beside me, I'm gonna start a new fucking life. That song's fucking beautiful. This bitch just goes and, like, ends it all in front of his fans. I mean, right. with a shitty song. Yeah, hey, listen, and to give Kirk a bank credit, he didn't do a 10-minute song about suicide. He just fucking did it in he real life. He, he didn't, didn't let his fans see it. Nah, he just right. fucking did it. He's like, hey, fuck this shit, and he did it. Right. Yeah, it wasn't for attention. Like, I'm gonna kill myself in front of the fans. I hope you all see me. Like, no, he just did that shit in private. Right. He listened to an REM album and went into his fucking garage and shot himself like a man. That's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna kill yourself, you know. I'm not condoning people to commit suicide, but I'm just saying, no. if, if you're gonna do it. It's better to do it than fucking write a 10-minute song about it like a bitch. And I'll go ahead and say it. It should have been Eddie Vedder, not Kurt Cobain. Well, depending on who you talk to, it could have been Courtney that did it. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of subscribe to that a little bit. I don't know. Like, I feel it's it like, wouldn't shock me. We could do a whole episode just on that alone. Hey, all I know, Kirkaway, he's a guy who always was talking about shooting himself. He was always singing about shooting himself. He bought a fucking gun, acted like a nut for a couple days, and then he shot himself. It kind of makes yeah. sense. It kind of adds up. Fair enough. It walks Fair like enough. a duck. You know. You know, and that's what pissed me off about Kirk Cobain not to get on a tangent. <sighs> But you yeah. murder rock and roll and then you kill yourself. Good job. Well, that's not what you do. <laughs> he Good. knew it. He's like, Good job. They're going to be pissed off at me in about a year or two, so I'm going right. <laughs> Sorry for destroying rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Asshole. Yeah. Probably. So, all right. So, this album, if you got the deluxe version, there's two songs I really want to talk about that are bonus tracks. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of live tracks, but the two I want to talk about was there's a cover. And then one original song. Uh, the, you know, obviously, they do a cover of When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin. And then they do an original song called Phantoms in the Mirror that I wanted to talk about. So, Edwin, why don't you go ahead and just talk briefly about those two songs and what you think of them. I did not listen to the Zeppelin cover. So, I, okay. can't, I can't imagine. Well, talk about Phantoms in the Mirror. I- I'll probably talk about the Zeppelin cover. because there's oh, some yeah. in Zeppelin. I can't imagine it's this good as the zeppelin cover i mean the oh, original song oh. <laughs> oh well you're fucking crazy you're all crack like, <laughs> right anyway. honestly i think that's one of zeppelin's best fucking songs yeah too. that's a, that's that was a, an amazing but... song by zeppelin i will say that i will yeah, say that's probably one of my favorite you can't, songs you can't top the drum sound that was the fucking creatures of the night before creatures fucking hey man <laughs> right, i agree right, man right. i agree yeah but um uh, I heard Phantoms in the Mirror once. I heard that song once. And I thought, better than the great misconceptions of me. <laughs> That's what I thought. But it's not, you know, it sounds kind of like some other shit on this album. Um, I guess it reminded me uh, I'm One and the Invisible Boy a little bit. A little incomplete It reminds sound. me of The Heretic, because it's pretty much like a reworking of The Heretic from Headless Children. Yeah, it wasn't as good as that. I mean, it doesn't sound as finished, but yeah, it's kind of It's all right. It, I do like it better than a couple songs that are on this album. So I think um, if he had finished it, it could have worked. You know, what's it? I mean, I only heard it once, but from what I heard, it wasn't bad. So that's my opinion from what I heard. Mick, what do you think of Fans uh, in the Mirror? And did, did you, what do you think of the the if you did hear it? What do you think of the when the levee breaks uh, cover that they did? Dude, I gotta be honest, I never knew these existed until like. Oh, yeah. Did you listen to them? 
I have not. I didn't know oh. they existed, dude. Because the the version you got of, some homework uh, to do tonight. <laughs> I do. The version that I have on CD does not have either of these. He's got the old school one. You got like the uh, first see, one. See, but. No, I've got a reissue, dude, but I'm pretty damn sure that it doesn't have it. It's either that or I didn't give a f enough fucks about this album to check. <laughs> you're already <laughs> done with this fucking After album. The yeah, honestly, like, I think oh, that's oh. the case. Right, is I didn't really, I, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this, yeah. I, I can imagine you, like, great, con great misconception of the fam of the park. I can imagine, like, two minutes into that song, you probably, like, ejected the CD and, like, punched the wall out of anger. <laughs> That's not far from the truth, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know about these songs, so I don't know. Right. Jim know. Schwartz, what do you think of those two songs? <laughs> um, you know, the uh, the Phantoms in the Mirror, it's 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 a good song. It's you know, I think it's a, a straightforward rocker for the most part. Um, again, it's one of those things I, I probably should listen to it apart from the rest of the album, just because um, by the time the the great misconceptions of me or whatever it's called <laughs> is done, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of done with the album. Um, so I think, you know, in, in all fairness, I should probably, you know, spend some some time with just that song. As far as when the levy breaks goes, um, I think there are certain things that sh are best left untouched, and just certain things you shouldn't do. <laughs> Musically, yeah. I think it's fine. Blackie's voice, as much as I love his voice, it just doesn't work for me on this song. It's, it's, yeah, it. To me, that that that's Robert Plant's baby, you know, all the way. And it's hard to hear somebody else sing that for me because, again, that that's like a top five Zeppelin song for me. Yeah. So, although it sounds like it sounds like Eric likes uh, Discover. Uh, I'll talk about these two songs. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mick and uh, Schwartz. I uh, Schwartz. <laughs> Schwartz. Schwartz. I, I definitely agree with you guys. We're like after Great Misconception of Me. It's like I, I can imagine it'd be pretty hard to like want to listen to any fucking bonus songs. It's it's like you, you ever had that girlfriend? You know, where like she just wants to fuck like for like hours upon hours. And, like after a while, you're just like, God damn, bitch, you want to just cuddle? Like I, I'm I'm exhausted. I can't keep going. <laughs> My sack is drained, bitch. Yeah, like like it, it all starts to hurt after a while. But uh, so when the levee breaks, I fucking love his cover. I do love the Zeppelin version, but I gotta say, Blackie sounds better on it vocally. Cause I'm sorry, I fucking to wow. me the biggest thing I hate about Zeppelin is Plant's uh, vocals. I think he's really. I yeah, and he, that song's okay. <sighs> But he's always been a weak link for me. Whereas wow. Black, he sings it with so much like soul. Like, like I say, he's got that soulful voice. Plant has that whiny, like kind of white boy rocker voice. Whereas Black, he's got like that. You know, he, he's part Native American, man. He's got that soul in him. He's got that right. pain in his voice. You know, he sings it with so much soul. Like I feel the pain in his voice when he sings it. So I, I love their version, but I love the Zeppelin version too. Right. Right. Plant's got a British country boy voice. It's just different. Oh, God, his voice. His voice. He's, a, he's from the North Country. He's essentially like a hillbilly. He, he's a. He's just a pretty <laughs> boy with a big dick. That's well, not, I, hey. That was a sock, man. That was a sock. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was a fucking sock, man. But <laughs> so I, I dig it, but I dig both versions. So I do like the Zeppelin version. 
I gotta admit, I do. Like, if I had to choose between Blackie Lawless and Robert Plant, I'm Team Blackie all the way. Oh dude. hell yeah, man! Yeah. So that's what I think about when the Levy breaks cover by Wasp. Fam's in the mirror. Holy fucking shit! That song kicks ass. Damn. If that song was on the fucking Crimson Idol album, not as a bonus track, that would have been my favorite song on the fucking album. That song fucking kicks ass. It's basically, if you listen to it, it's basically the heretic from Headless Children, but with different lyrics and, like, a different arrangement. I like that song better than The Heretic, because The Heretic, that's a perfect song, except I hate that part where it's, like, the happy little guitar, so, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, I like that. That's I hate that part. It I like, like some, that part, too. I like oh, that. it sounds like some seventh son of a seventh son bullshit that oh, I don't know. It's way it sounds, better than that. It sounds dude. forced. Like, to me, it just sounds too forced. Like, it just... It just didn't work with me. So, I... And I do love that song still, but that part always sounded forced. Whereas Fam's in the mirror, man. That song's badass. Yeah. And Blackie's doing those howls like I was talking about on this album. He does like that... It's like a scream, but it sounds like a, a howl. Like, it's just, like, a wolf howling or something, and I love, like, the, you know, the background, he's, like, you know, so, talking about, like, voices in his head, and you hear, like, the evil laughs in the background and stuff, it just, it's a cool song, man. Bam's in the Mirror, fucking killer song, if you haven't heard it, give it a shot, man. Just skip Great Misconception of Me, and then just go straight to that song, uh, if you got the bonus track that's version. That's yeah, I got, I got it, so that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. On. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll skip that and go right to that for now. <laughs> Right. Eric, that may be the best advice you've ever given. Yeah, yeah, Mick, yeah. Mike, yeah. Mick might have it. Mick might have it, but no, I just know. checked my CD, dude, and I've got a reissue version, and uh, it's not listed on the jacket. So go YouTube that shit tonight, man. So, right. I, so we got through the Crimson Idol, which uh, you know that's that's not an easy easy feat. So <laughs> I, you know. I want to thank you, uh, Mick, the Dick, and uh, Schwartz for joining us. <laughs> Schwartz. And so I'm going to go ahead and uh, Schwartz, since it's your first time being on a podcast, uh, we're going to do our recommendations, man. I mean, is there an album, a movie, or a porno? Because yeah, this is a Wasp episode. <laughs> this is a Wasp episode, so we can get a little dirty here. Yeah, your wife's not listening to this. <laughs> no she might be. You never, you never know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Actually, well, is this one you want to recommend to everyone out there to check out? Yeah, it's actually a book. So, all right, um, I like so it. So, I don't know if you're familiar with Lou Brutus. Anyone? No. You say he's Lou a, or Lube? Lou. Lou. He's a. He's <laughs> a DJ. Lou. He's a DJ, and he's on Sirius XM. But Edwin, you may have actually like listen to him growing up he's been in uh, a dj on rock radio in like philadelphia chicago oh okay Maybe all over the know. place yeah, yeah he was actually um did stuff with live aid and so like he was in philly in the in the early 80s so that right. might have been right around the time you were kind of you know running around philly a little little edwin yeah um, I, I was a toddler so i probably yeah. wouldn't have known him then but I, but I'm sure my parents probably knew him and heard him. Yeah, very likely. But he wrote yeah. a book called Sonic Warrior: My Life as a Rock and Roll Reprobate, and he's such a great storyteller. And he's one of those people. He's got whoever your favorite artist is. He's got a story about them, and he's such a phenomenal storyteller. I'll just hit you with some of the the, the titles of the chapters. The time I attended my first concert and threw up on Carlos Sanchez. Nice. Like, 
like I'm I'm drawn in already. Um, the time Hun- Dr. Hunter S. Thompson menaced me with depraved violence in a bottle of Shiva's Regal. Like, you know, Hunter S. Thompson. It's a great Eagle. story. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I, I, I have read Hunter S. Thompson. And he's okay. from here in Louisville, too. Oh, yeah. he's it, that's It's a phenomenal chapter. And, and speaking of Robert Plant, uh, <laughs> the time Robert Plant charmed the shit out of my date because he's a rotten, limey bastard. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like it's that. it's great and even he talks you know he's got a lot of stories with like Corey taylor from slipknot and there's one with the guys from five finger death punch and those aren't my favorite bands but he's such a good storyteller that they're they suck you in. and um the audiobook is great he reads it um so if you do audible or anything like that that's really gone there but highly recommended it. it's it's a very entertaining book and what's um, the, t- the title again it's Sonic Warrior. My life is a rock and roll retrobate or reprobate. Got it. Yeah, sounds cool. Right. Yeah, and I love uh, rock and roll, you know, memoirs and things like that. Same anyway. here. Yeah, yeah. He's got stories about Motley, Snoop Dogg, um, a lot of good stuff. Very nice. All right, awesome. Mick Watkins, what, what you got? What you been into this week besides cocaine? Yeah. Oh shit! All right, all right. Well, besides cocaine and uh, dead hookers, uh, you know. <laughs> Like you guys bringing the Wasp episode up, and uh, you guys said, you know, maybe music, a movie, or a book, or a porno, you brought back some good memories. I'm going (laughs) to go with a, well, I'm going to go with a porno first. Nice. Back in in the year 2001, dude, uh, me and my friends were all hanging out. We're a bunch of teenagers getting into dope smoking and underage drinking and behind the fucking bowling alley and all kinds of good shit. I can't remember exactly how we came across this, but we used to have this coveted VHS porno called Hot to Swap, all right? Ooh. And it starred uh, Ron Jeremy and an awesome fucking fella named Buck Adams. I think... (laughs) Yeah, Buck Adams. Yeah, and the whole premises of the movie, Hot to Swap, of course, was two best friends, Ron Jeremy and Buck Adams, were swapping wives. You know? Yeah. Oh, I see. What did this. Right, right. But, but what's funny is there was a third friend in this, and what's hilarious, we always cracked up about it was was it was Buck Adams, but he had a mustache and he was playing another guy. So Ooh. I guess right, right. But I guess their budget was kind of low. <laughs> or maybe he wanted to stretch himself as an actor. So, <laughs> maybe, oh, he yeah. did. <laughs> maybe he did. <laughs> But the funny thing was, was Buck Adams, uh, whenever he would talk in these pornos, he had a list. And uh, it's fucking funny, dude, because like some of the scenes, we'd all be smoking weed, partying and shit. And we would be watching these videos and he'd be going, yes, yes, let me fuck your face. Yes. Tickle my balls. Yes. Yes. You know, so we always thought that was so fucking funny, dude. And, uh. And, and he's fucking this chick doggy style, and then he comes, and then uh, fucking he gets done, he goes, bitch, you need a duke next time. <laughs> it was fucking awesome, dude. It was fucking awesome. Hell yeah. So do, we, do you still have this video? No, and that's the thing, is it got lost in translation somewhere out there. We traded it to a friend, and we lost it. And dude, ever since then, we have never been able to locate Hot to Swap. We can't find it online. Wow. Nothing. It's oh. almost like it didn't exist. So if anybody yeah, out there in podca- 
Dude, no, it exists. <laughs> I swear to God. So if any of you guys can come up with hot to swap, you know, I'll pay a good price. You know, so there's my hot, there's my porno uh, thing, and then uh, an album from Music Man. Uh, the latest album that I just got from the, it's a band called, or it's a band from Pennsylvania called Spellbook, and their oh, new yes. album, right? Their new album called Deadly Charms, dude. These guys are fucking killer. The best way I could describe them was is you take, uh, or is, you take uh, kind of early Sabbath, mix it in with a little early Blue Oyster Cult, mix that in with a little original Alice Cooper band, and throw that in with a little bit of, uh, you know, modernize with Ghost, and you got Spellbook, dude. These guys are fucking killer. They're tearing it up in the fucking Pennsylvania areas, New York, you know, all that stuff. They they were previously called Witch Hazel, and they released two albums underneath that moniker. But since they've been Spellbook, I felt that their game, they've really fucking brought it. And uh, they released an album called, uh, what was it, uh, Magic and Mischief back in 2020. Great and their album. New, it is, dude. And then their new album called Deadly Charms, which just came out a couple months ago. If you love Sabbath, Alice Cooper, BOC, Ghost, that's your shit, dude. Check them out and support them. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you before I give my recommendation. I That band, you know, there's so many of these, like, stoner metal bands or doom metal bands that try and capture that 70s Sabbath sound, and they just they, they can't really do it. Right. Spellbook is the only band I know that can capture that sound perfectly. And it's, I agree. Uh, and it's like what I said uh, to when we had Dream Machine on our show and how I feel about them is it's because they not only capture the sound, but they can write the songs. Their right, songwriting right. is just as strong as like Sabbath back in the day. And that's where they succeed where other bands just, you know, they don't. And that's, I agree. I, I love Spellbook, man. They rule one, that one song from their uh, the first album under the Spellbook moniker. There's a song on their uh, Amulet. Oh, yeah, Amulet. I that's love like it, one of my favorite, like, modern, like, heavy metal songs. I love it. But, man, that new album fucking rules. That was like, I was listening to that all throughout Halloween season because it was just such a perfect Halloween album. It is. Check out the song Goddess. It's oh, that's so, a good one. Good it's a one. good one, dude. Yeah. Check yeah. it out, guys, if you all haven't heard it. No, I haven't. The way you guys are describing it, I, I want to hear it. So I'm going to check that out. You, you will not be disappointed. It. Right, right. Oh, man. I guess I will go into my pick, and I, I got two. Uh, you know, I got a music one, and I'm going to give a dirty one because this is a Wasp episode. So I'm going to recommend, you know, I talked about the album throughout, uh, you know, throughout the episode. Uh, I want everyone to give Streets of Rock Opera a chance, especially if you haven't heard it, man. If you like Crimson Idol or maybe if you're let down by Crimson Idol, I would check out Streets of Rock Opera by Sabotage. That is like one of my, it's in my top six favorite albums of all time. I think it achieved what Blackie was trying to do at Crimson Isle, but just, I feel it's a better story. And I feel just John Oliva and Paul O'Neill are just, you know, when it comes to like a concept album, those guys just are a lot better than Blackie is at like writing a concept album. It's a great album where, like, you can take any song out of context of the album and it'll still work. And, man, that's just a... It's a great album. It's a good mix of, like, rockin' songs, but also a great mix of ballads. 
and it just really hits you on an emotional level. Like, you can really, like, you, I don't know, it's just, it's more relatable. I like the character of DT Jesus way better, and it's just, uh, it's an album that'll punch you right in the gut, and it'll just really hit you in the feels, man. Uh, so I recommend Streets of Rock Opera by Sabotage. It's an amazing album. And for my dirty pick, I'm going to recommend, there's this hot-ass bitch, and she's a, she's an OnlyFans girl. Because, you know, the free porn market is sadly kind of, with OnlyFans, the free porn market is kind of dried up a lot. And I, I'm going to just say fuck it. I'm going to tell everyone my, my fetish. It's not that weird, but... I have a thing for when I watch porn, I like the female actress where she's alone doing a solo or she's with another female, uh, another dude or multiple dudes. I like a female porn actress wearing Converse. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's <laughs> hot. It's very so specific. It's <laughs> yes, weird. it is. It's just something about it, man. It turns me on. And there's this OnlyFans chick, Sophie Tight, a very appropriate name because she is tight. Um... She is an amazing, amazing actress. She can fucking take it, and she is hot, <laughs> sexy. I recommend go check her stuff out, man. Sophie Tight. Go check her out. She's She can take it like a champ, man. <laughs> Those are my two recommendations. Is it T-I-G-H-T? It's T-I-T-E. Yeah, yeah, it's clever. I see I'm looking it up right now, dude. Oh, yeah. it's, it's worth it, man. She is hot. Alright. Oh, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, shit, that one's looking it up, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> I still gotta check out Sonya Anubis's, uh OnlyFans. I'm very curious about that. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, dude. Yeah, I was gonna ask I you. I have not, that. man. I haven't, man. But I, I will check it out for the good of the show and give a review one day. So, <laughs> Edwin! <laughs> Edwin, what do you want to recommend? Okay, I will likewise do a legit musical one and then a dirty one. All okay, right. first my <laughs> legit musical one. Uh, Jimmy James knows this because uh, me and him were rapping about this earlier in the week. It, and this fits in with uh, what you guys were also talking about, like a more modern stoner style metal bands. Although this one has more of a prog edge to them. Uh, it's Elder. The band oh, yeah. Elder and their new album, yes. Innate Passage. Innate Passage. Very cool album cover, too. Very 70s prog. And it's kind of a... I, I wouldn't say it's... I feel that they... If you've never listened to Elder before, I actually wouldn't recommend this. I would recommend either the album Lore or Reflections of a Floating World. I feel that those are their two best albums. But... If you've listened to those albums and you like them and you didn't know that they had a new album out, then definitely get in a passage. Get their new album. It's a solid album. I think it's better than their last one, Omens, which was a little... They were going a little poppier by Elder Standards. Like, it was still a cool album. It was still like a cool uh, prog rock album. But you could tell they were kind of reining themselves in a little bit with that album. And it was just a little more polished and a little more... Um, poppier. Whereas this, this is them going a little more back to the reflections of floating world style. I don't think it's quite as strong as that album, but it's still pretty damn good. You know, if you like right. that sound, then definitely get it. And you know, it's just they're a kind of a great, um, almost like background music kind of. They just have a vibe, a little like also I would say early '70s Pink Floyd, like before I would say. Okay. 
kind of like right before metal, like where they were just like kind of like if you ever heard like the Nile song, things like that. I love the Nile song. That, yeah, that's actually my favorite Pink Floyd song. That's uh, a good it's, one. it's so heavy. So it's kind of like that. Like it's that heavy. And you know, Pink Floyd never really sounded like that again. That it was like nope. this fleeting moment where they were kind of heavy sounding, but psychedelic right. at the same time. And that's kind of like Elder. That's their sound. So yeah, then you probably would like some Elder, Mick, if you haven't listened to them, because their shit is a little like the Nile song. It's like right. heavy. But it's trippy at the same time. And well, what's funny, man? Quickly, sorry, man. Uh, no, but the, the other day, you posted the link to that, and you were like, "Hey, check this out." Well, that night, uh, I actually put it on as I was going to bed, and you know, not, it's not a slight against it at all. But uh, I, I, I went to the sleep instantly. Yeah, and but yeah, I, and I had the greatest sleep the whole fucking week. <laughs> they chilled yeah. you out. Yeah, it did, it. dude, it, and I liked it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, definitely check, definitely check out. I think uh, lore and reflections of a floating world. I mean, what do you think, Jimmy James? What do you have a favorite elder album? If you had to pick, uh, yeah, I think I, for me, reflections of the floating world uh, is for me far and away the best one. But this new one is really, really good. Like it's 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 close. Yeah. Uh, for me so yeah i'm you're spot on with it and um i feel like it's there there's it's maybe even a little more melodic it might be a little bit more i i yeah. just I, it, it didn't have the same quite the same impact as floating world did but it's not I also, as doomy i don't feel it's it, yeah. it doesn't have as much doom but it's yeah. it's really good all right so that and so there you go that's elder and now for my dirty one this is my <laughs> dirty <laughs> recommendation now, you don't have to buy this whole box set if you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you should at very least go on YouTube and listen to Paul Stanley's Love Gun Rap live oh, God. in Rockford, Illinois from the <laughs> New Creatures of the Night box set. Because I've heard that. I've heard it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? I talked earlier about in this episode about how like cocaine can make it real hard for you to get an erection. <laughs> That's even worse. I, I, I thought about it for with, like with Mick. Days after listening to that shit, with, Mick was talking about the the porn star with the lisp. I immediately <laughs> thought of Paul Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> we all know Paul Stanley's probably have the most ridiculous, absurd stage raps of all time. No one can compete. No one touches Paul Stanley for cringeworthy stage raps but let me tell he's you something horrible. he's horrible this motherfucker goes to the doctor a lot this shit <laughs> this shit's next level this is his, this, this this makes all his other stuff look like kid shit <laughs> you know it's a whole story he goes to an airport there's a woman of course it's a woman because he loves women <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's oh just be honest it was and, a man and she's and she's <laughs> Tommy. Him. well and then he actually says cock in it now, this is what I love he best. Does. <laughs> and then she touched my cock. Cock. <laughs> He's like cock. a five-year-old saying that word, like, oh, like, ooh, I said a dirty yeah, word. Yeah, there's a dramatic before, and it, it's like it doesn't even like. I thought you were setting up love gun, like you were gonna say she grabbed your love gun, but no, he just says fucking cock like a meathead, and <laughs> it's hysterical. It's hysterical. It's so bad. It's good, in my opinion. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's grab my cock. My cock. 
You can't fucking spinal tap at its funniest. Oh, this the real deal. This is re- something he really said to people, you know, public ways. Yeah. <laughs> hey, who's jerking off over there? I hear someone's dick hitting the fucking table. Oh, sorry, that was me, man. Sorry. Oh, shit. <laughs> in your cock? My cock? Let me hear you, cock. How many of you out there like to touch a cock? Cock. <laughs> I heard some of you here love the taste of cock. Semen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Now, Paul Stanley, the gift that keeps on giving. Nah, he's amazing, dude. Amazing, amazing. Stop talking between songs and you're good. Right, <laughs> oh, right. I, I don't know. I can't say. I don't want a world without that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so bad. Funny. It's like almost it's hilarious. So yeah, come on. Do you yeah. really want a world where Paul Stanley's not talking about his cock on stage? Come on. No. <laughs> and his Bible fives. <laughs> I don't want to listen. I saw once there was this. And this was like during the reunion period. Like oh, it was. God. Like, People were like taking their kids to the concert. There's a little kid. You ever see this clip? It's like one of the clips where he starts talking. It's before Lick It Up. And he starts talking about like eating pussy. (laughs) (laughs) He's doing this whole rap about eating pussy. And I was like, Paul, listen, I'm not approved. Come on. There's kids there. Right. Paul Stanley trying to talk about eating pussy was like the poker scene in 40-Year-Old Virgin. He's trying to tell a sex story and he has no idea what he's talking about. It felt like a bag of sand. I like to touch it, I like to lick, and you know she likes to be licked. So why don't we all just lick each other? Fucking all, fucking calm down. There's kids in the audience. You know you're doing a fucking Hanna Barbera clown show. You can't know what you are. Don't fucking get this. Don't get this blue. <laughs> you know, like that's one of the things I've always thought was hilarious about Kiss is that all right, all right, you're gonna fucking film a Scooby Doo movie and market yourself towards children when all your songs are about banging bitches and anal sex and dicks. <laughs> so, Come on, hey, right. put your hand in my pocket, grab onto my rocket. Right, they were like the original Still Panther. Dude. Yeah, kind of fucking black, blacky lawless. No, no fucking kids are going to watch shows. So he right, can be right, as right. dirty as he wants to be, or used to before he found Jesus. But anyway, <laughs> oh my God! Right. Only imagine if fucking Paul Stanley found Jesus if he stopped being Jewish. Oh, if he found Jesus, he would probably try and suck his dick. Yeah, he make dirty <laughs> raps about Jesus. That lives to hear about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I gave yeah. him a crown of thorns. <laughs> Jesus oh, on the God. cross, and then he you know what? Oh, God, jeez. <laughs> you know what? Speaking about Blackie uh, and Jesus, maybe we should touch on some of those Wasp albums from post-90s. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just a, a quick – we're going to have to wrap this up. But, yeah, Mick, yeah, what's yeah, your yeah. Yeah, we're out like three and a half hours here. No, but yeah. I want to know, as some guy, as a new Wasp fan, a, a new Wasp fan that doesn't even mind 90% of the Crimson Idol, where would you point me – after uh, you know, after the nineties. Okay, quickly, I'm just gonna bash him out, dude. And I think Eric would agree with me. Unholy Terror, yes. to me, is the best album post Headless Children. Unholy Fuck. Terror fucking rules. Then I would For me, go it's Dominator. 
I, I right, right, right. But Unholy Terror is like right after Dominator, but Dominator okay. is like my second favorite uh, Wasp Bomb of all time. That's a fucking killer one, dude. Love uh, yeah. it. So you got Unholy Terror, Dominator. Dude, really, the last fucking three albums, Dominator, Babylon, and Golgotha, are pretty killer, dude. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you think they're all good? And wait, what, what like, era, like, are they kind of something new, or do they reflect, like, certain periods, or kind of a mixture? Kind of a mixture, man. You'll yeah. still get some classic-sounding Wasp songs. Like, I mean, take me, like, Dominator, that came out in the era when he, like, that was when he stopped doing Animal and he found Christ again. And on that album, there is like a there is a song about him talking about his faith, and it's actually a really good song. Heaven's it's blessed. It's totally like a Christian rock song. Almost. Killer fucking Christian yeah. song, like a striper song. But then yeah. also too on that same album, there's a song called "Take Me Up," which is like one of my favorite Wasp songs. That's a good it has song. kind of a. It has, like, a sleeping in the fire kind of vibe, and it's, like, a sexy song. He's talking about, like, take me up inside you so there's no more you can take and all that. Like, it's a sex song. It's, like, a sexy yeah. fucking song. That's, like, a song you make love. Like, if you got, like, a, like a fine-ass bitch in your, you know, like, at your place, like, Sophie Tight, and you're, like, trying to make love <laughs> to that woman, you fucking play Take Me Up, man. That's a sexy fucking song yeah yeah it, maybe he is singing about jesus but it's like a sexy jesus song remember when, remember not paul stanley did that song about wanting to love you inside jesus, oh, uh, jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but really man like like honestly since you you did wasp i would suggest checking out everything man yeah, I, I have a feeling I probably won't like that late 90s industrial album. Cause That's I have, a good one. Yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I have this thing against industrial albums, even when they're good. Yes. Like I, like Alice Cooper's like Brutal Planet, like that's I can hear as a good album. Yeah. That's here's so my good. thing. I, I just don't like that sound. I just don't yeah. like industrial. I guess my thing with the, uh, here's my thing with the industrial album by Wasp. And this is why I'm not an industrial fan either. But I love the Wasp album because, one, you got the killer vocals of Blackie Lawless. But two, this is an album where, like, you know, I feel a lot of industrial music. It's, like, really shitty songs and, like, songs that really aren't that great. But they just hide they, they hide it behind all these, like, cool sounds and electronic yeah. noises. Yeah. Those wa That Wasp album, those are good songs. Like, if you just do those songs with just a guitar, drums, bass, like, you strip it down... They're still great songs, and the the industrial elements just add like an atmosphere to it, which is how I feel it should be, and right. that's why I love that album. And even though I'm not an industrial fan, so I think you like that one, but I wouldn't start with that. I would probably well, I, listen to the R albums first. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll do that. All right, and Jimmy James, have you ever Schwartz. listened to Swartz? Swartz. 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 <laughs> have you ever listened to the uh, post like 2000 Wasp stuff? You know, I've heard Golgotha, but I haven't heard the rest of them, so I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are, and uh, Dominator. You know, definitely check some of those out. We'll check um, it out. Well, me and Jimmy James will check that shit out. Yeah. Uh, okay, and that's it. I'm about to crash. I'm fucking drunk. Same here, I, man. I know Mick Watkins is. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking drunk. I'm ready to go for, I'm ready to go for more. Yeah, you Bring all the bitches. You're, you're going to make a run. He's going to go out and like, I got to get in some trouble now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you be careful. It's cold out there, Mick Watkins. It's cold, cold out there. Cocaine yeah, can cold. only keep you warm for so long. It's true. It's true. <laughs> we I'm we not out. 
I don't want a world without Nick Watkins. Just like yeah. I don't want a world without Paul Stanley making an ass out of himself. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that world. Right. Uh, anyway, so this was a lot of fun. It was great talking to you guys. Always a pleasure, Mick. You're you know one of our favorite re- reoccurring guests. You and Ralph. You are Bill Wang. Yeah. Ma'am. Always oh, a pleasure. That's and, quite the honor, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's you and Ralph. You're the guys that keep coming back again and again and again. And it's awesome. We love that you guys keep coming back. And Jimmy James. What? Yeah, Jimmy James Schwartz. Uh, you did really good, considering this yeah. is the first time you ever did any kind of podcast whatsoever. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Let's, let's give it up for him. Come on. Good job, Jimmy. Good job, Jimmy. Good job, his cherry. Sorry I, had, sorry, I had to be a, a filthy episode. You can't play oh, for your wife. Well, that's we'll, all right. We'll invite you on a like a rush episode sometime. In the <laughs> it's easy top or something. Yeah, it's, uh, but, oh, it's easy topic to get a little dirty. That's true. <laughs> no, but I just want to thank you guys. You know, I always try to do my best to uh, support all you guys. You know, um, you know, Mick, Edwin, you guys both have great YouTube channels. Obviously, Eric, the podcast is great, and so. Um, you know, I always try to, to like and comment and, and, and do whatever I can to help boost the algorithms for you guys and, um, you know, do the best I can to support you because I think, you know, all you guys are, are putting out great content and it's worthy to be heard. So I appreciate you, Jimmy. And uh, yeah, you've been around for you for years. You've always been so supportive, which I really appreciate. And you hooked me up with some cool Bee Gees vinyls, which I really nice. appreciate. Yeah, Jimmy. I love the Bee Gees. Good yeah, BGs I love them. fucking roll, dude. They yeah. do fucking rule, man. I, I guess we might have to do a Bee Gees episode. Game. Nice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll that, so that's great. And this, uh, the whole, and you've been a part of the RMCP army for a long time. That's how we all know each other. Yeah, and it's great. You know, also a shout out to uh, my boy Samuel Witz. I think that's how you say his last name. Samuel right? Witz. Witz. Love that motherfucker. He's awesome. Dude. Samuel Witz. We were just Man. chatting. Day. he's into wasp he's gonna be excited about this episode so and we're gonna have we'll have him on a future episode too you know that's i love the rmcp army you guys all fucking kick ass and we'll have you on again jimmy james and of course mick of course we'll have you on again of uh, course yeah and excited to hear that new wild ride album did you guys oh yeah it? yeah yeah man you know I, like i will give you guys a uh, like a little bit of uh, information on that it will be coming out April 29th of 2023. So, yeah. Okay. We'll have to strategically plan like an episode around that so we can plug that shit. So, we'll, we'll yeah, that sounds that. great, man. Like, yeah. it's fucking, uh, it's going to kick ass. We're about halfway done with it, and it's going to be the heaviest wild ride yet, man. So, like, yeah. you know, I love it when you guys get heavy. Awesome. Right. And we're working on some shows. We're trying to venture out of the Midwest and. Dude, we'd love to fucking come out to fucking L.A. or California or something close, you know. Awesome. Sounds oh, good. Yeah. Where are you uh, at right now, Edwin? Are you in Florida or California? No, I'm in Tampa. Yeah, I'm in Florida Tampa. right now. All right. Yeah. yeah, but we'll see. Hey, hey, if you go out to L.A., I'll make a point to fly out to L.A. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, but we'd and, love to play either, so. Well, yeah, and if you play in Florida, yeah, I'll fucking come see you guys in Florida. So, right. yeah. And yeah. fucking Eric's in Indiana's. That's not that far from us, so and then, we'll, uh, we'll have to figure out Wayne. something, man. Fort Wayne, we, Fort Wayne. Okay, we will have to figure out something, man. You guys gotta get a little bus and just fucking come go drive all over the fucking country. You got fucking. Oh, we've got a bus. We've already got a bus. So there you go. You're halfway yeah. there. You got a bus. Just gotta yeah. 
put aside some time. I know you all got, you know, you got to have, you know, work for a living and shit like that. But if you right, got like right. vacation time or something, you got to tour America. Right. We'll make that shit happen, dude. Awesome. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to fucking pass out. I don't know Same about here, you guys. man. <laughs> and so, but always a good time. Love you guys. Love you guys. I'm, I'm Absolutely, you. guys. Love you all, gentlemen. <laughs> Love Later. you guys. Thank you so much. Later. See you, Jack. Bye. I fuck like a beast. Ah, <laughs> <laughs>